Hello, students, and welcome to the Dub Talk Jojo. I am Megan, your goddess of archery and all things great and holy. Now, before you take a few shots at the show that we're talking about tonight, let me remind you of a few rules of our dojo. Number one is that adult situations and strong language may be used in here, so viewer discretion is advised. If there's anything that you're uncomfortable with, please leave the dojo at this time. Second, spoilers for all of Surinay will be discussed here, as well as any other anime series, so listener's discretion is advised. We advise that you do go back and watch Surinay first, then come and listen to the episode. And finally, remember that all opinions expressed here are that of the individual participant and do not reflect all of Dub Talk as a whole. Now, with that being said, line up your arrows and shoot! Unlimited blade- wait, what? This isn't the right series? But there's archers, and they're in class. But the- it was clearly told to me in the supreme doctrines of weebness that the archer class is really made up of archers. And these ones actually shoot bows and arrows? Where are the swords? Where are the- where's the copying? Like, you know what? Fuck it. Just fire away. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the show where a group of friends get together, hit the range, and fire off our opinions on the latest and greatest in anime dubs. Tonight, I am your first shooter, Megan, and all along with me, I have my second shooter, Lilac. Hello, everybody. I've got my third shooter, Jet. The archer class is made up of archers. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> really, Jet? <laughs> Just because you're right does not mean you are correct. <laughs> and we've got our fourth shooter, Noah Clue. I'm just here for the cute girls. Marhaba! Oh, goddammit. Oh, uh, yes, we found Horny on Main. Sadly, our fifth shooter... <laughs> Sadly, our fifth shooter was found dead in Miami. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just, just kidding. We tied him up and left him in New Jersey. Goddammit! Oh. Don't worry, it's... Oh, no, nobody don't worry, deserves it's, that. Don't no worry, one. it's okay. I left him with a copy of Charlotte. <laughs> oh, so I'm not telling him that. I'm letting him discover that one on his own. <laughs> Megan, Megan, they've got a. You know how the the target practice has circles on it, yes. right? Well, there's a special circle in hell for people who do stuff like that. I, I'm so sorry for your immortal soul. <laughs> Noah, look. She doesn't care. Noah, look. My soul I, has been going down to hell since like 2008. Can we join you? <laughs> Take us with you. <laughs> only if you're a only if you're a good little boy who thinks. Only if you're a good little boy who thinks. I'm trying to make a dunk and I can't. God. <laughs> God damn it. I had. Per I gave it to you. I gave it to you on a silver platter. Anyway. And I'm sorry. I got a little target so, panic. Um, okay. So for a shooter, would you mind telling us why we're here? God damn it. <laughs> Tonight we are here to talk about. The <laughs> fuck <laughs> tonight we're here to talk about fucking. No, we're not. Show is way too cute, and nice, and wholesome for that. Uh, to... That's not that what is... I signed up for, Megan. Especially considering the studio this is from. That is an amazing. Let me get to that tonight. We are here to talk about Surinay Kazumai Kyoko. I'm gonna try to say this. Wait, here, try it again. <clears throat> 
Tonight we're here to talk about Surune, Kazumai Koto Kudo Boo, otherwise just certainly known to Surune, unless you're a fucking weeb. The 2018 series by Kyoto Animation, which means one thing: half the people, half the people watching the show, just want to see two dudes kiss. Just because they are correct, just because they're right, doesn't mean they are correct. Thank you, thank you, Shiro Emiya. <laughs> I don't know if you were actually right the first time. Oh, I had to <laughs> Thanks, Shiro. I fucked up. I done fucked up. Thank you, Shiro. I'm Mia. I didn't know you were on this episode. People die when they are killed. That they do, Shiro. That they do. <laughs> I just now I just really need KG Tang yelling that at yelling that at somebody. Anyway, just God to go over it. this, uh, Sirene was licensed by Sentai Filmworks. And the plot goes as follows. Minato Narumi used to be in the middle school Kyoto club until a certain incident in his last tournament caused his resolve to quit archery for good. When he attends high school, his childhood friends Seiya Takehaya and Ryohei Yamanouchi try to rope him into the high school Kyoto club again, but he refuses. However, an encounter with a mysterious man in an archery range in the forest inspires Minato to take up archery once more. Minato joins the Kazumai High School Kyoto Club along with his old friends and two new teammates, Nanao Kisaragi and Kaito Onogi, as they aim to win their prefectural tournament and for uh, Minato to get over what's called target panic. Basically, he can't hit anything even if he tries. Also, the mysterious guy in the woods is named Misaki, and he's really attractive and has an owl. That, yes, he has an owl. All main characters should have an owl. Uh, gotta say, the Harry Potter extended universe is getting really weird. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll take this over Fantastic Beasts, but I mean... <laughs> so do you think when Hedwig died in the seventh book, they got reincarnated in this world, and therefore this is a Harry Potter isekai? Yes. <laughs> the answer is always Yes. <laughs> That time I got reincarnated as a hot dude in the mountains familiar. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Alright, we're already throwing this off track here. Anyway, let me so get let me do my job. Okay. You only have one job. Let me have let me do my job, please. Don't they're taking Noah's taking my gerbs. Tonight we are talking about the 2018 dubcast that Sentai Filmworks did in the fall that started up literally at the very tail end of November. I think it literally started two days after my birthday. Uh, I believe that was the case. Yep, yeah. I think it started like two days after my birthday, like right before Thanksgiving. Uh, this got announced to uh, it, the dubcast for this started and it got it announced to come out. This was the dubcast that aired that season. I believe alongside Real Girls dubcast, Tata, Bloomin' to You, and Bloomin' to You. I believe, you. yeah. I believe yeah. so, yeah. And yeah, definitely Bloomin' to You. Oh, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk about our feelings on the casting, the writing, the direction uh, of this show. So as this is a Sentai Filmworks uh, dub, and this is a dub review, there will be no predictions done. We are just going to straight up talk about the characters. Uh, so we are going to start with our director because every dub needs a director unless you're Stephen Foster and you just quit halfway through. Um, <laughs> God damn it. There, 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 is a, there is a joke to be made there about the movie that came out called Wonder Park, but uh, we probably shouldn't go there either. Yeah. That's not. So the director for this dub is Shannon Reed and the writer for this dub is Marta Bechtel. Shannon Reed you will know for his dubs on Anonymous Noise, Chihaya Furu, and Real Girl. Marta Bechtel, you'll know as the writer for a series such as Devil's Line, Food Wars, and Typhoon Norida. 
So tonight, our order is actually going to be uh, Noah, then Jet, then Steph, and myself. Cool. All right, All right so uh, Noah, take us away. So, um, by complete coincidence, um, these just happen to be my favorite director and writing pair uh, over at Sentai Filmworks right now. I really like uh, Shannon's work on stuff like School Lit. So um, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that I wasn't too enthused about either the direction or the writing on this show. Um, for the direction on it, it suffers a little bit from a lack of convincing talking to each other dialogue. I know that uh, all shows of this modern era are dubbed with individual actors and recording booths and they're not usually recording together but with some of the dialogue here it was a little too apparent that there was no one else that they were going off of um now i'm not quite sure if that was entirely because of the direction or just because of some of the actors that we're going to talk about but it did detract a little bit because this is a show with a lot of dialogue there's a lot of back and forth with the voice act with the um archers to each other that has to be really convincing or else it comes off as a little too phony um, higher praise to Marta on the writing of it because there was a lot of dialogue in this and she really did her best uh, to possibly Englishify some of the talking. Um, this is a show that is not your shonen, My Hero Academia type of high school setting. It's more laid back, it's more realistic, and it kind of deals with some of the struggles that high schoolers have to deal with. So I do like that Marta uh, peppered it up with distinct writing styles for each of the five mains. It's kind of... Uh, a weakness of some of the material that she had to work with. So for both of them, it was okay, but I do think that the direction suffered a little bit from just not being as emotionally invested as some other shows that I've seen both of these work on. Hmm. You may you may fire your arrows at me now. Interesting. All right, Jet. Okay. Um. So this is the second thing Shannon Reed directed that I've seen. And while I really liked his work on Furu, I was a little more mixed on this dub's direction. Uh, to be perfectly honest, the first couple of episodes of this dub sounded a little rough to me. And outside of a couple of actors, it felt like a lot of the cast was having a pretty good amount of trouble adjusting to their roles, and you could really tell it in how they were performing. Uh, but to Shannon's credit, they do, kind of, they do adjust by the end of, I'd say, episode 3 or so. And from that point on, the dub sounds pretty smooth, and the actors are able to give fairly natural-sounding performances, which uh, feels pretty on point for how low-key of a show this is. Uh, part of me kind of wonders if maybe having this under a simple dub schedule is what made those first couple of episodes sound a little off, since uh, Shannon Reed might have had a little bit of trouble adjusting to working under those kind of conditions, but um, on the whole, I'd say it's pretty, it's pretty solid on that front, if it, even if it took me a little while to win me over. Uh, writing-wise, on the other hand, um, I'd say things were pretty smooth in terms of monumental script. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of Japanese-specific terminology here that she had to deal with in this show. And she did a really great job of presenting all that exposition in a way that didn't feel, like, super clunky or weird for English viewers. And I can't think of too much here that I would, like, actively complain about, so... Um, on a whole, I wouldn't really put this up there with my favorite Sentai dubs, but, um, I like seeing how this one kind of improved as it went along. I thought that was pretty neat. Alright, Steph. Um, most of my points, I would probably be more in line with Jet a little bit on this one. Um, mm. though, to Noah's credit, I can see the issues that he ran into, because I can potentially see the problems, but... Personally, um, I actually think this is the first full-fledged thing I ever saw that Shannon Reed directed. 
I think really? actually, yeah, if I remember right. Because I actually haven't seen the dub of Anonymous Noise. I haven't seen Chihayafuru. I haven't seen Real Girl. There is a show that Shannon Reed is directed that I'm currently watching now for a different episode entirely, but we're not talking about that today. Um, but in terms of this, I can say that it was a little bit rough, too, in the first few episodes because everybody's trying to sell into these roles and everything. Um, but similar to Jet, after probably the episode three mark is where it really kind of just flowed a little bit more naturally. Though I can also agree with Noah that some of the heavy dialogue mov moments might have seemed a little bit stilted between ca between characters and performances as well. Um, but speaking of the script, I honestly, I actually kind of adore the script a bit. Um, Jed is right. There are a lot of challenges in terms of like Japanese terminology and language um, that Marta had to work with. And I think she actually did really well with what she had. Um, but I also like that the script was still able to convey the, um, the passion and the heart, um, I feel. Uh, that the show has to it um, because at the end of the day this show is about being able to overcome your challenges and face your fears in its own way um, and in terms of the casting the cat I really love the casting um, it gave me one of the performances that maybe do a complete fucking 180 on someone and Megan knows exactly who it is. For that segment, I'm going first. I don't if we are mixing up the order for that segment only <laughs> because I have to talk about that guy. But Can you promise that we'll let Lila go last then on that one? Oh no, I just want to preference something because at least three of us have had to suffer through that show. Yes. <laughs> so, um, the only other minor flaw yeah. that I can see on the directing and the writing side um, mostly comes in terms of performances, but that's mostly the secondary background characters where some mm. of those performances, there were like one-liners and stuff that would kind of sound kind of rough and would stand out and not in a good way. Um, but otherwise than that, yeah, most of most of my opinion on it is similar to Jet, but I can also I can also see Noah's point on some of his contentions with it too. It, it's Lilac, it's okay. You, you can stab that arrow right into me. It's all right. I won't look here. Thing. I'm not entirely disagreeing with you. I, and I get that because um, you are right on some of those points. You are absolutely right. Yeah, this is I. It, I may have to preface this by just saying that. And we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but my own personal opinions about the show itself, regardless of the dub, weren't as strong either. So I'm wondering if that also had an effect on Probably. It. I would imagine. Yeah, that. that's a... That I've is had a, similar effects sometimes. Yeah, that is a genuine thing that I, I don't think a lot of people are openly willing to admit with, with stuff. So. Yeah, because I've, I've had times where it, there are dubs and things that I don't think work very well, but also probably because the show itself affected it very heavily to me. I've right, had it happen, so, so don't worry about it. Alright, thank you. Alright, am I good to go, or are you still- Yes, you are. Okay, cool. Uh, just to preference that last point, like, Noah, I'll give you a straight-up example. I hate the dub of Junie Tyson, even though- But I thought you really, really liked that no, show. No, I fuck- I fucking hated that show. I dropped yeah, it- Yeah, she hates the show. I dropped that show, like, after we recorded it. I- I hated- I hated right. it. Which is a shame, because it's- it's a lot of things I genuinely like in other shows. Uh, but speaking of things I genuinely like in shows, uh- Taking out taking out the show from this from the dub for a bit, uh, this is a show I genuinely really like. This is a show I got really into uh, due to some some stuff that it wants to talk about. Also, be like, I I genuinely need to preface this. I like a lot of sports anime, not because of like 
oh, cute boys and cute boys doing cute things. Like, if you do not follow me on Twitter or you don't know me, I actually like sports in real life. Like, I, I enjoy actual sports. You may think she posts those gritty <laughs> jokes for fun, but there's an actual legit reason for it. Yeah, like, I'm an actual hockey fan. Like, this is the thing. Like, I like hockey. I, I've been to fo- Like, I enjoyed going to NFL games when they are not, like, out in the blazing fucking sun in Tampa. I, I went to college football games when I had the chance to. Like, the only sport I genuinely, do- of the four, like, made- I don't really like soccer, and I'm not a huge baseball fan. Mostly because going to the stadium in Tampa is actual balls. But, like, I like sports. And I also really, really, really like things that are not sports that you do in America. And this is one of them. Gee. Because this is a very, very, very Japanese show. Like, <laughs> gee, Kudo. Yeah. Kudo totally is an American sport. Well, archery well, archery the, can be done in America, but this is more of a, like, arch- specific style arts. of martial arts. They archery. call it a martial there art. Is a- so. They do. America doesn't have the um, the formations and the poise of this exactly. Yeah. They're much more focused and this on is, the hunters. And this is a very like sim- it, like there is a lot of like religious like almost religious esque aspect to this. The way that they have to Probably, take care yeah. of uh, take care of the shrine that's in the dojo, how they take mm-hmm. care of it. Like they pick the grass. They they set up their own targets. Yep. They clean it. Yeah. Like. This is a, a show that genuinely has a very Japanese-esque uh, thing to it. And I think that to transition to this, Marta Bechtel really does capture that. Because that's probably something that's really hard not only to write under a DVD, a DVD release uh, level time constraint, but probably also a, a, a dubcast level time constraint. And I think she did mm-hmm. it really well. Um, I will say, though, that I am... In the same ca- campus, like Jet and Steph, in terms of things, I think that this dub does take a little bit to get on its feet. But when it does get on its feet, it really is a slow burn that comes to shine. Because I will not lie that by like episode twelve, I was on the edge of my bed, bouncing up and down, cheering. Like I got completely into it, and I did get completely into it through the performances that were in in the show. I don't think they're all perfect. I don't think out of the the dub casts that came out in fall, I would probably say this is the third out of the four. I have not heard a lot of really good things about Real Girl, unfortunately. And that's not a show that I, I would watch. But compared to both Bloom Into You and Tata, which were far more polished productions, mm-hmm. they this is this is solid, but it's not like pushing the level of pushing, like, what we haven't seen from other Sentai dubs before. Um, This is the first show that Shannon Reed has directed that I've watched all the way through, though. I own Flying Witch. I own Scum's Wish, which I I want to... (laughs) I think a lot of us want to do an episode on that that actually owned the show. Uh, And I've heard... I mean, I I did get it. But Scum's... I've heard a lot of good things about Scum's Wish. Shannon Reed, even when I hear trailers for his dubs, sometimes I I do kind of, like... I get into some of it, but there's always, like, one performance in there that just immediately to, like, a trailer listening ear just makes me go, hold on a second, buddy. Like, pump, I'm gonna pump the brakes on your, I'm gonna pump the brakes on you as a director for a minute. What the hell? But I think he does a solid job, and one of the other things that listening to this dub made me realize is that we really just need to keep asking Sentai for a dub for Run With The Wind. <laughs> Which Jet will join me on because that's a phenomenal show. Like, I think this is another. She asked that I think like five times at Sentai Filmworks. Like, please, please dub run with the wind. Um, please. 
If you could get them to dub Tanaka Kun is always listless, I think we could get them to Wrong dub the, the running show. If they could go back and dub Haikyuu. If they could go back and dub Haikyuu after the Here's request. my thing. I, I, I both love Run With The Wind and Strune. They're both shows I actually really, really enjoy. I think they both have... I would say Run With The Wind's a little bit of a better show, but that's because I think it had a more polished direction and team on it compared to this. Uh, but this was still better than Free Season 3, which, yeah. Oh. Free Season 3 is a, is kind of a mess. Megan, Megan, we weren't going to bring up the ele- the wet elephant in the room. See, I'm not no. talking about look the double, I'm talking about the show itself. I'm about to say, look no, here, I think she's talking about the show. No, I, I'm talking about the, the show itself because like, we might as well address it. The A lot of people jumped on board for this show to be produced because of the success that the studio had with free yeah no and this is a series that is very much not like free but does a lot of i think the reason i should probably get to this more of my final thoughts it than now but this this series does a lot of what i liked at free in its peak but just potentially a little bit not as good um i do think it i agree with you it does a lot of things that free does not do but i do think it's courting a similar demographic but a lot of that demographic doesn't like it because there isn't a lot of shippable moments in there and i'm actually completely okay with that because i think the show didn't need it um yeah that's uh, i mean yeah having like i mean again this is also kind of a final thought thing but having seen both shows this is kind of like in the middle of like it's clearly, and like, yeah, it's got the free aesthetic and that, again, there's a lot of cute boards and stuff, but it's also going a little towards Run With The Wind and that it's fairly grounded. And it's a lot more exactly thoughtful. About, yeah, and no, well, grounded in that it's not like, you know, the usual shonen sports narrative where it's like, you know, gotta win the tournament and all that good stuff. Right. Yeah, this show has is a lot more, I think, a lot more thoughtful. Not, like, I'm not saying that, like, Free isn't thoughtful, but, like, I think it excels more in that, like, it uses Kudo as a vehicle to talk about a lot more adult things. Because this is a, Kudo is a sport not that, yes, there's a team competition, but it still does, it's a very, it's a lot, like, more in-your-head individual. But anyway, that's, that's going on in Final Thoughts, and we're doing it here. But I, I think it's a solid effort from both Marta and Shannon, and, uh... I will 100% be purchasing this when it comes out, and I hope it gets a fucking Ellie. Um, <laughs> please, please give this a really nice Ellie. Please, for the love of God. Um, so, are we ready to move on to our first set of characters? Yes. Yes, please. Cool, so this is a show about guys, so let's talk about all the girls on the team. Um, <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Wait, what? That's right, kids. There's only three of them. There's three of them. And by the way, this is one thing I actually really like about this series that I actually have a lot of problems with with a lot of other sports anime is that the girls are almost always relegated to being the manager. No, uh, straight up, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're like I guess like their sponsor at the school, Tommy Sensei says, "Yeah, Kudo doesn't gender discriminate. You can have guys and girls on the same team, and they both get to compete." Yep. So, so yay. That's awesome. um. So the three girls on Kazumai who compete are named Rika Seo, No Shigaraku, and Yuna Hanazawa. Uh, I think I can't tell you who is who though, unfortunately. That's uh, the editor. Neither, yeah. neither can I. I. I'll be honest. Neither can I. I can try to clear it up a little bit. Rika is the tall, black-haired one who does the most successful individual competition. Now is the more stoic, uh, purple-haired individual. Who gets sick. And Yuna is the peppy, uh, brown-haired one. Little tiny one. The little little tiny one who Who is the most moe of the three. Who I think delivers (laughs) one of the best lines in the show, which is, like, anybody would ever be Sundari for Yuna now. 
Okay, uh, I was almost about to say three Stooges out of a girl edition, but that felt kind of me. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, like, legitimately, one of, one of the best things in the show is that, um, Nanao is like, oh, come on, you're just being Sundari for me, and, and Yuna's like, like, anybody would ever be Sundari for you, you little bitch. And they're like, you're nowhere near as hot as this girl. And he's just like, oh, well then. They're also kind of the voice of reason for the guys a lot of the times, because a lot of the times the guys in this yes. show get a little too in their heads, and they're like, the fuck, y'all? Anyway. Like, usually it's Yuna, too. It's usually Yuna who's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, so, playing Rika Seo is Avery Smithheart. Playing Nao Shigaraku is Elisa Collier. And playing Yuna Hanazawa is Savannah Menzel. Avery Smithheart, you'll know as characters such as Go Ishikawa in Release the Spice, Alexandra Marguerite in Tata Never Falls in Love, and uh, Ayaka Toshimoru in Doreku the Animation. Alessa Color, you'll know as Yue Ayase in UQ Holder, U Megimi in Armed Girls Machiavellism. Those are the two uh, roles that I could find that were of note. Savannah Menzel, you'll know as characters such as Ayumi uh, Ayumi. Yamago in Girls und Panzer, Yui Tada in Tada Never Falls in Love, and Karaku Hane, uh, Haneyagi in Review Starlight. Noah, go ahead. I'm going to save my terrible, terrible dad pun for the end of my section oh, here so Christ. that you don't kill me until after that. Don't, don't worry. It, it's awful. Don't worry. You'll feel bad about killing me. But uh, what you won't feel bad about is talking about the three girls because um, their role in the show is unfortunately indeed delegated to a bit of... Um, uh, basically emphasizing everything that we're already observing about the boys, and almost none of them really get their own arc. So it would have been very easy for Shannon to cast sort of a very blanket uh, direction on these three and not give them too much personality. Um, Luckily, they do have distinct voices from each other. Avery uh, has a soft but serious voice to her that helps convey a sense, like she's the most composed, and not just... uh, by the way that she's animated, because when we're seeing the three of them fire arrows in their competition, Rika is the only one who's not shaking when her arrow fires, and consequently she does a lot better too in the individual competition. So Avery's voice matches that uh, serious, devoted voice to her without coming off as um, cold-hearted or emotionless. It's kind of a hard thing to tackle, so I give her full props for that. Alyssa's now has the most difficult scenes in the entire show because she actually kind of uh, gets sick during the individual's competition so she's unable to compete as well as everybody else um but because we don't get to see too much of her acting in that portion of it the main uh, the main strengths of her performance are kind of delegated to the scenes where she's bouncing off of rika and yuna in the practicing scenes or when they go off to their day camp and she 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 particularly is i think she was the one who feels the most bad about turning the boys into manservants which i don't think she should feel bad about that but she does give off the sense of genuine compassion in a competition where they're all trying to get better so that that is kind of what sets elisa apart from the other two and then savannah Uh, Because Yuna is, like I said, peppier and lighter than the other two, she has to be given a lighter voice, which uh, Savannah does give her. It's bubbly, it's brighter, and it's a lot sharper than the other two, and a lot more to the point. But it's also a lot of fun to be around, and I really do wish that all three of these had a lot more to do, because, like I said, they really do help break up the the boys learning to be better mentality. But, you know, for, for what they get, for their combined 
15 minutes of overall screen time, they did pretty darn well. And now for my terrible pun. I guess since we have three girls in this show, would you say that the show passes the Marta Bechtel test? <gasps> Boom! Ah. I will take all of your arrows. Get ah. out. <laughs> like, go away. Get out. <laughs> why, why would you boo me? I'm right. Just because you're right means you are not correct. Does that mean you are correct? Steph, you are never going <laughs> to get that you, reference. I'm right. never going to get it right, but I don't fucking care. Oh, God. Steph really is just I... the Shiro Emi of this group. Look here. I am tired. Shut up. <laughs> Shiro Emi needs a nip nap. Shiro Emi needs... No, Caster needs a nip nap. Caster needs her nip nap. Caster needs her nip nap. <laughs> By the way, before we started, we gave everybody their own class and fate. Uh, I have reluctantly accepted Berserker. Steph is Caster. Uh, Jet here is Saver. Uh, I guess... Who the fuck? Uh, uh, Andrew's Lancer. Roots no, is Andrew's writer. Bitch Baby. Oh, yeah. Andrew's Bitch Baby class. Uh, Roots <laughs> is writer. Uh, I guess... I, do we just want to make... I guess Noah can be the judge character, whatever class that was again. Uh, ruler, ruler was it? Yeah, Noah, your ruler class. Don't fuck up the rules. We trust you. Oh God, I, I'm all for that. You're a dad. You know how to. You know how to keep things fair. There is a little girl right now, a two-year-old girl, walking around the living room, refusing to go to bed. You have no idea how much rule I have over this house right Absolutely now. Absolutely none. <laughs> Everybody, say hi to Ruby. Hi, Ruby. Hello, hi, Ruby. Ruby. Go to bed. She looks so happy for being out of bed. Anyways, my corpse is being uh, slowly decomposing, full of arrows over here. Jet, would you prefer to take over the discussion of the three girls? Okay, uh, sure. This will be real quick because, to be perfectly honest, I had a pretty hard time telling these three characters apart. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, like not because they didn't have like, not because they didn't have the same personalities. You can kind of. Like, you got to tell which one was which whenever they were, like, interacting with each other, but they just didn't get that much screen time. Uh, okay, but, uh, like what Note was saying, it would have been very easy for Shannon to have just, like, not put a whole lot of effort into, like, how he casted these three, but all three of them sounded very good. I, I especially liked Savannah as Yuna. I thought he, like, added a lot of, like, a good amount of pep and energy to that role. I thought it was a lot of fun to listen to. Um, as I, uh, I haven't heard like too, too much of Avery Smithheart, but I've enjoyed what I've heard of her in uh, other dubs, and I liked her here. I thought she was uh, pretty good as Rika. I didn't have like too, too many thoughts on Alyssa Sayo, but I thought she did a pretty good job for what she had. I mean, but like again, it just kind of comes down to these three didn't really have a whole ton of screen time, and. It felt like they were honestly just kind of there to be like, oh, hey, girls, also do this sport, and that was kind of it. Yeah. And it didn't help that a lot of their mo that a lot of their moments pretty much happened entirely off screen. We never actually got to see them compete, which was kind of depressing. But yeah. Well, no, you do. You kind yeah. of see. Um, I think uh, Shirogaku kind of yeah. compete. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think he's, yeah, I think we see Sarah compete for like one for like ten seconds, and that's kind of it. I mean, definitely, compared to the boys, it completely dwarfs any uh, development we get from the girls. Like, mm -hmm. we don't hear their inner thoughts when they're getting ready to fire. It's all relegated to the animation portion of it. To be fair... And, but that's entirely on the show itself, not anything... That's just a lot of sports yeah. shows because they're male-driven. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a shame, but again, but for what they had, I thought all three of these ladies did a very fine job. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, like, I complained a lot about how, like, about how a lot of the actors here felt like it took a while for them to get used to their roles, but I thought all three of them, like, adjusted very quickly. Mm -hmm. All right. Steph. Uh, I'm basically in a similar vein again with Jet. Um, because, yeah, the the girls kind of suffer a little bit mostly because the show doesn't give them a ton a ton of time so we don't really have we don't spend as much time with the girls as we probably could have or should have uh but that's a detriment to the show itself excuse me um in terms of the performances of these girls um they are well balanced with each other work off of each other very well but i have the issue of because i watched this show a week ago i actually unfortunately barely remember these performances that's not a good sign for me um i could say it's because i'm tired but unfortunately i think it's partially the show not doing that much with these characters to begin with um but considering what i do remember and what i do know about these characters um yeah each of them have a very interesting dynamic and interesting voice uh, to match the personalities of these girls. I actually really liked Seo a lot because she has this mature leadership kind of role, like kind of bringing everybody together uh, in her own way, similar to another one of the characters we'll reach later. Um, and because of that, I really enjoyed Avery Smithheart a lot. Um, I think out of the three, Avery I'm most familiar with because I have heard her in um, Tata and I have... <laughs> I've heard her in Doreku. Um, <laughs> Thank you for being the one person who did that for us. <laughs> I sacrificed myself. <laughs> I volunteered as tribute. It was not worth it. <laughs> I got nothing in return. But um, Only pain. Only pain and sorrow and misery. And why is that show fucking even exist? Anyway. I'm so glad. We're, we're going to mention another show that has a lot of pain and misery. You in are end, so like, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, all three of the girls have a fun dynamic with each other and with the boys too. Um, it's just unfortunately because the show doesn't really utilize them all that much. Um, mm. We just have the issue of I would love to see more from them. I would have loved to see these characters more. I would have loved to see some kind of character progression for the girls, but we didn't really have anything, which kind of is want want but um otherwise than that yeah i really enjoyed all three performances though avery was for me at least the standout between the three all right all right cool so i'll go uh pretty quickly here i'm not as bothered by everybody else about the girls not being in the show as much because hey at least they got to compete and they've done more than co ever fucking did in free um right and at least they have (laughs) and here's my other thing at least they have troubles and like actual genuine like failures and things Unlike the girl, the two, like, any of the girls in Free ever have. Like, I love Free to Pieces, but literally Ko doesn't have a personality other than crying about how hot guys are. Yep. Which, which, I mean, that's not nothing. That's not nothing, but, like, in terms of... That's practically most of the viewer base. First of all, one, just because you're right does not mean you are correct. (laughs) Second of all, uh, suck your own dick. Um... (laughs) Nice, but uh, I, I I don't bend that way. Just I, remove I a few. Just it. remove a few ribs. Um, anyway, I I really like the three girls. Um, I would say I'm the least familiar with Alyssa Color as Shigaraku, and I do think that she was probably the weaker of the three. Um, 
She did sound a little bit more hesitant, but I think that might have been just the character being the most hesitant and awkward in, like, a group setting. Yeah. Uh, Avery Smithheart does a good job as as uh, Sayo. Avery Smithheart is probably the person I'm more familiar with uh, as well, because I've watched Tata, and she was such a large part of Tata's main cast. Um, and I think uh, uh, Savannah Menzel's Hanazawa was a bit of a step up for me from her performance in Tata. I remember... I wasn't like the super the super highest on her, and I think okay. Look, I I play the review Starlight phone game, but I haven't watched the series in a while. Which les which of the pink and the blue lesbians? Which one was she again? I don't remember. Was I she the lazy? Uh, she was. She was. Uh, she was blue. Okay, so she was the lazy lesbian. Or no, wait, was the blue one the one yes. with the motorcycle? No, the pink one was the one with the motorcycle. Okay, yeah, because it- yeah, yeah, pink had motorcycle. Blue was just lazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I was, like, kind of back and forth a bit about as her as a ha, uh, Kariko, Kariko, even though Kariko is... I, they were, like, arguably the second best couple in the show behind, Cla- behind uh, Claudine and the other one. But that, the blue-haired one was the one that was the rich one who was thought she was entitled to be treated like a queen. Yeah, she's she? the one who's like, uh, you pay, right. yeah, this is about yeah. Tata, this is about Saturday, not, uh, Ruby Starlight. I almost said Tata. That's a completely different show. <laughs> there we was talk about Tata. It's fine. No, there was. Welcome to the welcome to the sample platter podcast where we just talk about everything. everything. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I think the girls did a good job as uh, supporting as supporting characters, and they did the thing that I like, where it's like they don't overpower the main cast, but they also aren't bad enough to stand out in the background. So, uh, speaking of supporting cast, supporting cast, let's talk about the adults that support the Kudo Club and Woo! Kudo in general. Yay! Uh, so first up is Kazuyoshi Sayonji. She is a master of Kudo who teaches, who taught uh, Minato when he first started, but he also taught his rival Shu. Uh, she is kind of a recluse until the very end, where she just shows the fuck up at the tournament, and everyone's like, "What are you doing here?" And they're all like, "Shut the fuck up! She's in charge." Uh, also, fun fact: they actually changed their gender in the char- in the in the novels. This is actually a male character. And they made oh. them into a woman for the show, which I I'm not like compl- that change. I'm not complaining. Um, Neither am I. She's badass. Then there is uh, Nakazaki. He owns a kudo shop that uh, kind of uh, uh, Ryohei kind of wanders into by accident and. Try, when he's trying to help uh, learn what Minato's tar- target panic is, and he kind of ropes him in, but he ends up be kind of like becoming like Kazemai's kind of support shop, and he's just a genuinely nice guy. And then there is Tomio Morioka, who is the teacher, Ryohei's homeroom teacher, but he is also apparently like a Kudo master that you find out later on in the show. Uh, and well, he was nicknamed the Devil. Wasn't he was he? the Devil. Yeah, the Devil. Except for he can't shoot anymore because it throws at his back. So he has a... Uh, oh, he still can shoot. It just throws at his it back. It throws his back out. So yeah. that's why he has uh, Masaki come in and be his teacher. And he's just a genuinely just cool little old man. He's adorable. <laughs> so playing Sayonji yeah. is Carly Mosier. Playing Nagasaki is Jay Hickman. And playing Mori- uh, Tomi Sensei is Ty Mahaney. Carly Mosier, you'll know his characters such as Azumi Nase in Beyond the Boundary. Juliana Lloyd in Devil's Line. And she's in Ayusa in Night Raid 1931. Jay Hickman, you'll know his character, such as, uh... I understand. I was gonna do that one last. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, Kura- I'm sorry, you posted it. <laughs> Kuruma in Elfin Lead, The Fool in Kaleidostar, and The Giraffe in Review Starlight. <laughs> which, 
No, I, I don't think Noah's heard that story yet. <laughs> no. um, About uh, um, let's tell that story later. Okay, so- yeah, we'll tell it. I'll tell it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I'm sorry. I was terribly distracted by the fact that apparently, like the new Uwas anime just got confirmed, and I'm really excited. I know. I'm very excited too. I saw that. And I was trying to bite my tongue. Uh, in time at Haiti, you'll know as characters such as Gin Dojima in Food Wars, Umetaro Nozaki in Monthly Girls Nozaki Two. Nozaki Two. Wow. Nozaki Tune. That's just the. Roger Rabbit meets anime. That's the musical God. version of Monthly Girls Nozaki Kun. And uh, of course, because Chi Chi is currently rewatching it, she it's my favorite. Oh no. It's my favorite member of the Sakamaki family, Shu Sakamaki and Diabolic Lovers. <laughs> And also, to very quickly tell you what the I understand joke is, uh, while Steph, it was Steph, Andrew, uh, Roots, and I were driving around in Portland, Maine, uh, while we were at AB, Roots was like, does anybody want to go see the hollowed out corpse of a Toys R Us? Yep. And I said, oh, hey, yeah, sure, we can go jack off on the ho- on the corpse of a giraffe. And Andrew <laughs> looks me dead in the eye from the front seat and just goes, I understand. Oh, wow. <laughs> How often do you get to reference it? Andrew, I that is Chef Kiss level of reference. I love right. getting to reference a giraffe from Review Starlight. Also, we're recording this on National Teacher's Day. Happy ta- National Teacher's Day to you, the giraffe the? the giraffe from Review Starlight. <laughs> That's right. Fuck. Again, we keep we how do we keep going back to the Review Starlight in the show about shooting bows and arrows? Oh, fucking no. Juna had a bow and arrow. Fuck off. Juna had a bow and arrow. But anyway, Noah. Okay. Um, I, I just want to say that Kali Mosier is a badass who doesn't get nearly enough recognition. Uh, she's been around for a while and in uh, shows that are not nearly good enough for her. Like, she is way too good for a lot of shows she's been on. But she always brings her A-game, and this is no exception in this one. Because even though she only is in a couple of episodes, um, she really does give off the... The, uh, the cool mystic voice that this character calls for. She's like, I, I kind of wish that the show had forecasted her uh, relevance in the show or like her existence like very early on. And it was like this big build up to when she finally showed up as a mentor figure. But you know, what you going to do? But uh, yeah, I have no qualms with the way that uh, Carly portrayed her. Um, and, and yeah, that <laughs> when she finally comes in for the final tournament and she's just this back off, I am awesome kind of vibe to her, just even from the voice acting itself. Uh, Jay Hickman, uh, this is the um, the shop owner, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I thought, because he shows up uh, near the beginning, and he was actually, I thought he was going to be more prevalent throughout the show, sort of because he not only supplies the team with their equipment, but he also gives one of the characters, I think it's like an old guidebook that yeah. is supposed to help Ryohei. him get over his target he gives, re- he gives it to Ryohei, specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was going to be kind of like the uh, continuous person who would give us more background on some of the older characters' history. Um, but, you know, for, before we got, Jay Hickman is uh, one person who um, I always associate with very uh, aloof characters, very uh, cartoonish characters. So uh, having a character who's more grounded and a lot more um, adult in this round is a little, is refreshing. No, he he's not talking giraffe. He's not fool in Kaleido Star. He's and he's definitely not Muto. So he's really refreshing to have the different kind of voice. I'm sorry, uh, you said Muto, and I immediately just started thinking about the bloopers. Don't touch the Muto. Never my my beautiful beautiful face. face. (laughs) Yes, again, yes. We're going to keep circling around to others, to other shows that have been dubbed uh, 
Not by Sentai, but by ADV. But you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I... Yeah. No, I mean, this is a... Uh, both uh, Carly and Jay are kind of an example of characters who, uh, for their little bits they get, I, I understand why the show put them in there. Um, I do think they could have been given a little more... Maybe more scenes of badassery earlier on throughout the show, but we focus so much on the boys, the high school team, that there's not really enough time for that. So to give Carly and Jay credit as true veterans of the craft for the parts they got, they did really well. And then let's talk about Ty Mahaney, who is a guy who I'm growing more and more fond of with every episode that we talk about him. Um, he was pretty good. Um, he's got this earnest and calm voice to him. And uh, be I know he's not as old as the character itself. And that sometimes bugs me. Like, I've talked before about characters who are voiced by actors who are much younger than they're actually trying to be. Um, so in this case, he compensates for not sounding as old by giving him a bit of a higher pitch. He's going for that old men uh, start to lose their the gravel in their voice and start to get a little bit higher up here when they get a little bit older, kind of the Master Roshi sort of voice. Um, and he, he does give this warbly vibrato to whenever he speaks that does compensate for just not sounding as old. Um, again, he, he gets probably some of the better lines of the secondary characters because he's supposed to be the, the teacher of the group and not really performing so much. So he doesn't get snappy one-liners, but he does get a good sense of motivation, like keep everybody in line when they get out of, not out of control, but, you know, like demotivated. So for those three guys and one girl, good job. Okay, um, so I guess it's my turn. Uh, I, uh, for Carly Bozier, I don't have too many thoughts. I thought she was pretty good in the role, but I will admit I had a little bit of trouble getting used to her because, um, as long as she was straining her voice, like, maybe a little bit to sound like an old lady, like, I enjoy Carly Bozier in a lot of things, and she's been pretty great in, like, most of the stuff I've heard her in, but... Um, so he's kind of like maybe a little off here trying to do the old lady voice for like the first uh, few episodes when that character was introduced, but um, uh, after a while, after a little bit, it, it worked for me, but it, it took a while. Uh, as for uh, Jay Hickman as the shop manager, I didn't really have too many thoughts there. I thought he sounded like pretty. I thought he I did get a pretty good job of making the character sound like pretty pleasant and down to earth. I. Uh, like Noah, I also thought that character would maybe have, like, a little more to do, but, um, ultimately he was just kind of there, so I don't have any super strong opinions, but Jay Hickman is usually very reliable, and he was pretty solid here. Uh, the character I do have thoughts on is, uh, Ty Mahati as, uh, Mr. Tomio, because I really enjoyed that one. Um, and this was definitely one of the performances I really enjoyed right off the bat. Um, I'm mostly familiar with his work and playing, like, really gruff-sounding adults, so I was kind of mm -hmm. surprised to see him here play the role of the kindly old man, but uh, he does that very well. He does a very great job of giving Tomio an air of wisdom that makes him sound like a man who's, you know, had his share of experiences with this particular sport, while also giving him a very, just a very generally gentle tone that makes him sound like he could be just about anyone's grandpa. Um, I wish he had a little more to do with the grand scheme of things, but I definitely enjoyed him. Especially in all his scenes with Minato and Masaki and the, like, calm but very firm way he was able to help them tackle their individual problems. 
Especially with Masaki during some of those later episodes when he was, you know, dealing with all that stuff with his grandfather. Mm. And, um, again, I wasn't really expecting this one to work quite as well as it did, but it definitely worked, and it was very pleasant to listen to, and I really hope Taimahata gets cast as old man more often, because he's clearly <laughs> very good at it. So, thumbs up. Cool. I'm gonna start with the easy one. Jay Hickman! He's a person that exists. And I say this in the nicest way humanly possible. I don't really have any notes on the shop owner. Um, he, because I also thought he was going to be more of a presence than he actually was. Again, I mean, but given what he has, he's a, he is honestly a good support system and has a really interesting dynamic among the adult characters in the show. Um, but not as like a mentor figure, but just was like an outside observer of sorts because we have because mm -hmm. what jay's character basically is is the outside observer he because we already have plenty of mentor figures in the show itself um so we need that kind of balance in the show to give like a different perspective on things uh similar to similar to masaki's older brother that we're not talking about today too um they're both from an outside perspective looking in and like kind of commenting on things that are going on that way. Um, given that, I do like Jay's performance in the show because of it. Uh, Carly Mosier is an interesting one. Um, Cause I had no clue until Megan told me after I finished watching the show that that character was originally male in the novels. So first of all, show more power to you for making this a female role just to give it a little bit more oomph to it, which is awesome. Uh, second of all, I love Carly Mosier to pieces. Um, this is actually a fun role. Her and, um, it'll eventually lead in the tie, too. She doesn't sound too old. She doesn't go with the stereotypical old lady voice, and I think that is the best part. Um, because this, she's, she is an elder lady, sure, but she's not to the point of, like, drop-dead grandma elderly lady. That's not the stereotype. She has this, um, a mature, almost kind of regal, polished air to her. And I think that's exactly what the character of Sayonji really calls for. Because um, that seems to be, because majority of the time we see Sayonji is through flashbacks. Um, and we do see her at present day a few, on a few occasions. Um, but you can get a lot of the personality through those flashbacks. And I think she carries that rather well through to present day. Um... But I also have to agree that Time of Handy is a fun standout here, um, because same reason as I give for Carly, he's not the stereo, he's not being the stereotypical old guy. He's not going full fledged grandpa. Um, is is Tommy Tomio aged? Sure. I mean, he throws his damn back out when he tries to do practicing kudo. But it's also a wise mentor kind of role, um, which. You could, if you wanted to go the stereotypical grandpa route and make it all hammy and cheesy and everything, sure, but I don't think this is the kind of thing that this show calls for. So, no. I, I love that he's still very wise. He has the elderly charm in his voice, uh, He's but he's still the wise mentor. He is the teacher. He is very lovable. He's a fun character. Um, I love it to pieces. And Ty Mahaney is probably the last person I would expect to voice an old guy like this. Considering I know him from Nozaki-kun. And uh, Diabolic Lovers comes to mind. <laughs> as well. As Megan's favorite fucking character. Um, 
no one teaches Shusakimaki how to bathe. Um, Spades with headphones on. Because fuck exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Why not electric yourself? It's fine. Anyway. Um, but yeah. What? <laughs> Jet's just sitting there like, uh. <laughs> Jet, please never watch Diabolical <laughs> Lover. She will lose all respect for all of us. Yes. <laughs> and or might be turned on. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a, okay, uh, don't don't feel too bad. I'm like what a, I am a person who had the unfortunate experience of sending through all of Boku no Pico, so like Ooh, you can, oh. Jet's a fucking survivor. <laughs> Jet is a motherfucking <laughs> champ. What have we learned tonight, yeah. boys and girls? Jet will take a hit for do anyone. You wanna, <laughs> do you guys all wanna know an awful thing I did one time when I was a young, dumb edgelord weeb? What? I challenged my friends that I challenged my friend to watch all of Boku no Pico for twenty bucks, and I never gave her the money. You monster! <laughs> and now they'll listen. They're gonna hear this. Gonna hear no, this she's not. Like, she doesn't talk to me anymore. Okay, well then. I mean, t- let's see, tw- I twenty. Why? Let's see, twenty bucks in early two thousands money. What would that be now? That's at least like one. That's still twenty bucks. <laughs> still twenty bucks. <laughs> Twenty bucks is still twenty bucks, 20 bu- Noah. I mean, That's I, a fucking yeah, faint doing... line right there. Twenty bucks is still twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all week, boys and girls. But anyway, um, yeah, I really like these supporting characters. They bring fun dynamic, a lot of maturity, um, and different perspectives um, from an adult side of it. Um, but definitely, I really like Time of Handy. He's the last person I would have expected to voice an older character like this. But I think he does very well, and I love it very much. Next. Alright, so Carly Mosier as Sayonji I really like because they don't make her go like super grandma voice even though it's very clear that she is Tomi's age as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also like that Time of Handy doesn't make Tomi also sound like a giant fucking grandpa like Hello kids, get yep. off my lawn. Yep. I remember back in my day we used to string our bows with raccoon tails <laughs> and we would make our arrows what? out of... What? What? Calm down, Inie. Calm Calm down, Kikio. What well, kind of like... archery did you fucking do? See, Noah watched then... Inuyasha recently, apparently. <laughs> Actually, I've never seen an episode. I've seen one episode many, many years ago. All you need to know is Kagome! <laughs> Inuyasha! Kagome! That's all you need to know. Tasuna. Uh, 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 this is especially funny considering Takahashi's new series just came out today. God damn it. Awkward. <laughs> Uh, no, so I, I enjoyed Carly Mosier as Sayonji. I do wish that the character showed up a little bit more, but I, I thought that it was important to talk about her because she, the way she talks to Minato is like a mom. Yes. Because one of the things also about Minato is that he lost his mother at a young age and it was deeply traumatizing for him. Like, he got into a very violent car accident. Yes. Like, or, we'll talk a little bit more about it with another character, but... That's a thing. So, and he kind of, and he started going to her to to eventually show his mom that he could do this because he he got into kudo because when he was a young boy he heard the snap of a bow. That's what Suriname means, and got interested. And I think uh, Carly does that, and she holds this like level of respect and gravitas in her performance. It's just a shame that it's a very limited performance. Uh, Jay Hickman is just genuine nice guy, but not offensively like awkward in the background, dude. He also has this really heavy moment where he has to come tell the kids that someone was in a car accident. And I have words about that scene, and we'll talk about that in like two segments and like two segments from now. Um and then 
Oh, I love Taimahani as, as Tomi Sensei. He is really good at sounding older and wiser than Masaki, though I'm pretty sure both actors are around the same age. Uh, I would believe it, yeah. Um, I would believe that he was played by an older gentleman. And I think that he has a lot of these moments that are just really, really good, like, adult wisdom stuff that have... That also deals with some pretty heavy stuff. Like, there's a lot of really heavy dialogue in this show. Mm-hmm. Especially about the idea of what it is to be an adult and have it to get all together. Yep. And I think that Ty handles it really well while doing this older voice. Because, again, I am also very much used to Ty Mahaney not being old men in shows. I'm very much used to him being, hey, I'm the bunny of happiness. <laughs> From Nozaki, where he's got the rabbit ears on. Oh or my like, god, yes. Freak- Megan, I thought for a second there you were going to try to reference Spider-Verse, where he puts a shil- his hand on Gwen's shoulder and says, Hey. Hey. That's what I thought you were going for. No, it's, if you've ever seen Nozaki, it's he puts on rabbit ears at one point, and it's like a fucking trip, or him playing the visual novel with uh, Scott. Mikoshiba. Mikoshiba. Mikorin. Uh, Mikorin. Um, so... I thought he was I thought he was great and I just I just really really like it. It's one of those like you kind of have to listen to it to understand why it's really good. Like us talking about it, it's not going to do as much justice as just kind of like go and listen to it. So, moving on from Kazumi, let's talk about Yeet! <laughs> God damn it. Really? <laughs> oh no, it's the Weasleys. It's the Weas- That's an insult to the Weasley twins. They were good boys. <laughs> <laughs> Fred and George were good boys. They deserved better. They just Fred and how George much? deserved much better. Not these two fuckers. Hey, Fred and George, how much for this? Ten galleons. But I'm your brother. Twenty. Twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Yidus Deletus, these tweens. Yidus Deletus, a.k.a. the Sugawara twins, Senchi Sugawara and Manji Sugawara, as well as Su Fujiwara. Shu being the more kind of important character in the segment, Shu is the uh, once former teammate of Minato and Seiya from their middle school who went on to Kirasaki High, which is where everybody thought Minato and Seiya was going to go on to, where they did and they went to Kazemai instead. Shu is essentially an unbeatable mo- demon monster archer. <laughs> he doesn't miss. Uh, that's basically, hey, this is a sports show. We did a rival character. Yeah, basically. Here we go. <laughs> Except for he's a, like actually like he I actually do think he's really interesting and the show just doesn't develop him as much for some reason because like from what I understand the setup is is that he is uh he is part foreigner so people are mean to him because of it because hint hint wink wink Japanese people can be kind of racist um he's half foreigner and he doesn't really relate to anybody very well because of it. But well, hold on now, foreigner wasn't that bad of a rock band. I mean you know they had a few bad hits here and there, but. I'm going to yeet you the fuck out of this room. <laughs> no, I, I actually did, I didn't pick up on the fact that he was... Like, what is he? I think the they, I think they like, mentioned it in passing, but this was just me like looking okay. into other things. Because okay. the novels aren't translated this, for this yet, and I've been bugging Seven Seas through their survey to pick this up. But a lot of time, Kyoto Animation novels, through like their novel writing thing that they have, don't get picked up in the United States. And I actually think the only light novel for a Kyoto animation show like that I know specifically was from a light novel is Sound Euphonium is out is available in the States, but I think that's the only one. I don't 
think Tomiko Market's available in the States, either. Yeah, I don't think, like, I don't think Beyond, like, Beyond the Boundary is not available over here. Uh, most of them aren't, like, the, the high-speed yeah, novels yeah, aren't available yeah. over here, like, just as a tangent. Like, I think Sound UFO is the one that I, I know is over, I think Nichijo is, but Nichijo's a four coma. Not a, not a, um, a not, I think Nichijo's a four coma. Is it? Um, I'll probably look it up after recording for you guys okay. to tell, but I, from what I understand as of the time of this recording, like, very little of what Hiro Animation, uh, adapts in terms of, like, manga, light novel, novels, doesn't come over to the U.S. But, uh, yeah, like, I'm actually going to genuinely go on, uh, Mandarake and import the novels just to have them. Because I, I, I ge again, I genuinely like this series. So, playing Senichi Sugawara is Greg Kote. Playing Manji Sugawara is Anthony Hunter. Note that our, our feelings towards these two little assholes do not reflect on the actors themselves because actors are not their characters. Fucking worst. AKA these twins they are, are the they fucking are, like, worst. They are some pretty fuck awful characters. Like, like I think I, there's, I was watching Black Clover this morning and there was a, a moment that happened in that show that was very similar to this, but this one kind of was like a little bit worse. And playing Su Fujiwara is Scott Gibbs. Greg Kote, you'll know such as characters as Tanaka, uh, Ryunosuke Tanaka in Haikyuu, Sugaru Dojima in Bloom Into You, and Shogo Sena in Love Stage. Anthony Hunter, you'll know as characters such as Estion Aizan in Food Wars, that is his only major role at this point. And Scott Gibbs, you'll know as characters such as Tobio Kageyama in Haikyuu, Hajime Sugimoto in Tada Never Falls in Love, and Riku in No Game No Life Zero. So, um, is it wrong of As me characters to say or that voices. I kind of like the Sugawara twins? Go on! Yes. Oh. Okay. Okay, um... Because voices I can agree th with, but... There is, um, there's a theory in film and in, in, most, in most visual media uh, in general that people relate to characters who are motivated. They may not be good people. In fact, they may be god-awful people, but if they are motivated by something, then you will remember them. And the Sugawara twins are an embodiment of characters who are motivated to not be underestimated just because of their age. Which, to be fair, that is a stereotype that I do like seeing broken up. Like, I don't like the over uh, the upperclassmen who confront them and say, we want you to take a fall. We want you to not pass the test to be part of the team because we want our third years to get this last chance to be part of the group. I, like, I totally side with them on that one. Um, unfortunately for the acting side of it, I could not really tell Greg or Anthony apart from each other. Um, maybe it's just because the two characters look similar to each other and because they were told to act similar to each other, but... It is, uh, as opposed to shows like Oran High School Host Club, where you had uh, Greg Ayers and Todd Haberkorn, who are very different voice sounding voice actors who very distinct from one another, um, the way that Greg and Anthony were directed to speak and act in the show didn't really set them apart from each other. Luckily, though, it's good. It's good acting. It's, it's bratty to a point of confidence without giving it a nasally whiny sound like um, like an overly trickster character would have and that really helped from like maybe other people may dislike these characters more because they are a little shit demons that's for sure but they're the kind of shit demons i can get behind like they're the kind of people who yes they may like 
I don't know, stuff a million fireworks in your locker, but, you know, you, you still laugh about it afterwards. And, uh, yeah, as far as their overall acting, it, it's it's really good. Like, for what they're given in the show, I give them good props on that one. I don't really think that there is very much aside from just the fact that they sounded very similar to each other. Now, Scott Gibbs. Let's talk about Fujiwara a little bit. Um, but you are right. A sports show does need a rival. Um, this is not cool runnings. Like, uh, Fujiwara is not the German... He's not the Cobra Kai. He's not cartoon aliens. There is no major menace in what he's uh, trying to do. He's just very devoted to the sport. And uh, we'll talk more about his connection to the main characters in a little bit here. But Scott's portrayal of him seems to be its sometimes struggling to balance those two personality traits out. Because he has to be serious and confident as the lead, the best kind of uh, Kyoto player because he is the best, like he's continuously getting the best marks and hitting the best parts. And I think he's the, he is the last one to fire in their group, which is usually reserved for the best archer. But Scott uh, also understands the uh, kind of misses his friends and trying to, uh, trying not to be too mean to them when they meet up later in the show. So I'm not sure I'm totally on board with the way Scott balances those two halves of the personality out. But that may just be because the character itself is very different from the kind of rival that I'm used to seeing in a sports show. So um, I guess the final consensus is that they're all good enough that I could recommend the English dub uh, as just as good as the Japanese, which I think is the best indicator for it was still not too bad. Uh, okay. Um, so I will actually start as... I will actually start with Scott Gibbs' issue because uh, for a while I could not tell that was Scott Gibbs. Really? Um, I mean, yeah, mostly because, like, I mean, it's been a little while since I've heard Scott Gibbs and things, but I'm mostly familiar with his work in, like, comedy roles. Mm. And so I'm not really too used to hearing him do, like, really dramatic stuff. uh, This was definitely different for me. And uh, I definitely liked it. I thought he did a very good job of making Chew sound... Sue sound very aloof and serious, but not like you know super cold and edgy or what have you. And so, yeah, and I thought he did a good balance between being like the stern, okay, between being like the stern leader who's very serious about Kudo and you know, and and you know, like a lonely dude who kind of misses his friends. And I thought, I thought Scott did a pretty good job of uh, handling that balance. And Again, it was definitely a bit of a surprise for me because, again, I'm not, like, super used to Scott Gibbs doing serious roles, but, um, if this is what he's like in dramatic stuff, I'm certainly game for hearing him uh, do that sort of thing more often. I will say that, like, with a lot of the performances in this show, it took maybe an episode or so for him to, like, kind of get into the role, but once he did, he was good. Um, of course, he said that for me here are definitely the Weasley twins here. God um, damn it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can't get over that. <laughs> uh, so uh, when I mentioned so when I mentioned the show's direction and how it generally felt like it took a couple of episodes for a lot of the major actors to kind of get into character, but uh, how after that they sort of worked. Uh, out of the main cast, I have to say that these two were the ones that never quite improved for me. And my main issue here being that uh, both Greg Cote and Anthony Hunter's voices sounded maybe a little too deep and kind of dude bro-ish for what the character designs looked like and that kind of took me out of things a little bit 
And uh, it did help that the twins here were mostly uh, one-dimensional jerks outside of maybe that one bit with the upperclassmen. And it, they were mostly just kind of there to constantly talk down the Kazumai team at every opportunity, so... Uh, Greg and Effie didn't get, like, too much room to be pretty much anything but obnoxious. Uh, but at the same time, though, I will admit that while the way they sounded was a little distracting, it did kind of work in a sense that it helped to make these two characters sound even more punchable, and since, you know, we aren't really <laughs> meant to like these characters, <laughs> that kind of worked for me. Um, and I can kind of forgive them sounding a little rough around the edges. Um, also, to their credit, I had a pretty good, I had a pretty hard time telling these two apart until the final episode, until yeah. Manji, I think, Manji. starts to show... Yeah, so I to show a little bit of doubt in its confidence, and, um, you know, since these two characters are twins, I thought it was pretty cool that their voices matched up pretty well. I mean, like, if I were being honest, out of the dub cast, out of the entire cast, when it's said by Zadie, two were kind of the weak links for me, but, oh. uh, they definitely, but they definitely ended up filling the niche they needed to, so in the end, I can't really complain too much about them. So, yeah, so all in all, they definitely worked for what, for the role they had to fill. Cool. Um, I'm gonna start with the twins. I want to punt them into the fucking sun in a good way. Oh, in a good in a way. Good way. Oh, oh. <laughs> because in a good way. Because uh, both Greg and Anthony do exactly what they need to with these characters, and that's make me want to punt them into the sun. So, first of all, good job. <laughs> um, have a happy twin aside. Yes, a happy twin aside. Um, but no. Um, I actually have to kind of disagree on the twins sounding extremely similar to each other. Probably because I am very used to Greg Cody's tone of voice. So I can pick him up in an instant. Obviously, since I'm not familiar with Anthony Hunter, I have never heard this individual in my life. So obviously, I don't know what he sounds like. But with someone like Greg Cody's distinctive vocal range, I can kind of hear it. I'm with her. I can hear it. (laughs) I can hear it. I can hear it, um, but it's still, it's not, like, overly distinct. Like, Anthony does also kind of stay in a similar vein and a similar line with Greg, but it's just Greg's specific vocal tone is more distinct to me, since I'm more used to his roles and his voice work. Um, but yeah, these two, I want to punt them into the sun. These performances are so good that I want to put these kids into the sun. (laughs) Um, Because they're (laughs) little shits. Um, As for Scott Gives a Shoe, I I love that Scott keeps getting more and more roles that lean on the dramatic side. Because, brief reminder, long ass time ago, I was not the biggest fan of Scott Gibbs in dramas, but I loved him in comedies. But over time, now that I'm seeing him in more dramatic roles, I'm seeing, I'm starting to see like how good of an actor he actually is in dramatic roles. Um, and I really did enjoy Shu in his performance of Shu, um, because this is probably the the most stoic and mature character that at least I've seen him portray. Um, and that's exactly what Shu is. He's he's not a cocky asshole. He's not, he doesn't have this air, like, exudes this air of confidence because he doesn't need to. Like, he knows he's good. He's very disciplined. He's very straightforward. Um, and Scott plays all of those aspects very well. And um, Shu isn't exactly a great antagonist, honestly, to begin with. Like, 
personality-wise, she was not a great antagonist to begin with. But that's not Scott's fault. That's more on the character. Um, but given the kind of character that Shu is, he does play a, a kind of foil to both Minato and Seiya, actually, to an extent. Um, I, I did enjoy this a lot. I mean, I'm again, I'm becoming more and more accustomed to Scott in more dramatic roles. And again, for shits and giggles, and since I own it, maybe I'll go to finally watch No Game, No Life, and then I will probably want to, go to die jail. inside. Because <laughs> that's his, I, that's I, his I very, mean, very early Scott Gibbs. I mean, okay, I mean, it is a fun show, so long as you don't take any of it remotely seriously, but that is kind of hard. <laughs> With this one, yes. And I mean, that's very, very early Scott Gibbs, and I think his actual first leading role. So I will probably watch it and then cry on the inside, <laughs> more than wow. likely. Um, what a reputation. Well, it, it's it's for me, it says a lot because he started from this point where started I started from the bottom. Now we're here. here. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> It's our bottom here. now, we're here exactly. now, well, that's exactly <laughs> Exactly, like, he's grown so much, you, and, like, I I can now say that I always look forward to seeing him in more things and hearing his performances, so. He's a fantastic actor, I'm not gonna lie. This is how this progression, this storyline goes. And then, oh, sweet baby Jesus, when we get to the next segment, though, holy shit. Uh, anyway, I'm done. Alright, let's talk about, let's talk about Yeet 1 and Yeet 2. Um... Here's the reason I don't like the twins. <laughs> Put them into and, the sun. And, and this is it. They're they're door they're assholes and they talk down to people. Trash talk, fine. Like knowing the way that the series goes, they were probably gonna get their comeuppance. No, the thing that turned me off on them was them taunting the Kazemai about having potentially had a dead coach. That's where I was like, no, fuck you both. I was like. Fuck you too. Uh, that yep. is a line that you don't cross. That. that is crossing a line. And I will, I will kind of agree. As much as I really love Greg Cote, and I'm not as familiar with Anthony Hunter, the fact that they sound almost identical is really, really, really hard to get past in a show where they don't get a lot of screen time to develop them as separate personalities. Their personalities are linked to each other, and I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the mm -hmm. point of them is that a lot of people don't look down on them because of their age. It's because yep. they're kind of freaky little assholes. Like, even... We, we're not talking mm -hmm. about them, but Daigo and Hiroki, who are played by Adam Gibbs and Mike yeah. Kaimoto, um, both of them are usually, like, pulling them off and telling them to stop it. Not because they're not good at what they do, but because they are kind of little gremlins. Yes. And that is a like that would have been an interesting thing to see more developed in the show because like imagine instead of focusing on the five characters who are just having difficulty getting over working as a team, we got these characters that are really uh, almost Naruto levels of I think I'm hot shit. And I think one of the other things that's actually like I, I wouldn't mind if the show had been 24 episodes. Honestly, like I would have actually probably gotten into it like still, but I I think it's for what what I what, I'll get to it in final thoughts about what I why I feel the show is like that it is. Um, but one of the things that, uh, I, I really like is when Minato tells them to fucking stop it because Karma's gonna come bite them in the ass. And then Karma does because yes, Maji starts getting Karma target comes panic. And bites them in the ass. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. and, like, I think you can kind of hear it in Anthony's performance where he's like, dude, shut the fuck up and stop it for once. You can kind of see it, like, starting, and that's where you can kind of start telling them apart is by the tone and their inflection. But I would say out of 
uh, the entire cast, I wouldn't have them as the two strongest members. I think that they're kind of, like, in that... This isn't going to detriment the dub, but it's also not, like, up there. I will say, I actually really do like Scott Gibbs' shoe. I actually think that she was an interesting character. Again, if the show had more time, but... One of the things that really stood out to me about Shu is that Shu actually is hot shit, but even he is like, you guys need to shut the fuck up. You're not that good. And how... But at the same time, Shu also isn't afraid of kind of taking a a very low blow. In the scene between him and Seiya, where he tells Seiya to stop chasing Minato around because he's never going to be as good as him. I think Scott nails it. Scott has it in his voice where it's like, it's that voice where you think that you're being, like, somebody thinks they're being nice, but at that exact moment they are being an absolute monster to somebody else. Because he kind of sets Seiya off onto, like, a spiral of depression. (laughs) Really bad depression. (laughs) Um... But I, I really want to agree with stuff that, like, Scott Gibbs is usually a person I assume, uh, I associate more with, like, comedic roles. Like, Kageyama's a stick in the mud, but Kageyama's also a ginormous fucking dork. And, and yes. him is- He's a if I'm, he's shit. He's titty man, and he's tits, <laughs> he's tits McGee and, uh, Tata, isn't he? He is boob guy. He's boob guy. Which, yes, he is. If you've never seen Todd and Never Falls in Love, if you want to find one clip, just watch the clip where Adam Gibbs says, like, a thousand different euphemisms for boobs. Scott, fuck. Scott. Too many Gibbs. Too but many I, Gibbs. I think that he really does show in the show that he is apt for drama roles. I know No Game, No Life Zero is a lot more dramatic than No Game, No Life proper. So I'm interested to see it, except for I don't really want to go to jail. Um... <laughs> Uh, so, but I think that Scott really is, this is a role to set up and kind of destroy a little bit of preconceptions of Scott Gibbs if you only know him from comedic work, and I think he does a really good job in it, so. Alright, and before we move on really quickly, I would, I would like to jokingly set, I told Roots that we see him as writer, and he's like, let's be real, I'm a lovable doof who would throw hands with Bill Clinton for no reason if the opportunity arose. Uh, hey. <laughs> Because Ryder in Fate Zero does try to fight Bill Clinton. You know who doesn't try to fight Bill Clinton? Japanese Archer Boys. Hey. So let's talk about Kazemai's hey. uh, first position seater, their second position seater, and their fourth position seater. So, Bak- Katsuki Bakugo, I mean Kaito Onogo- Onogi, they call him Kachan. God I damn it. Is <laughs> Kachan, their Kachan, right. Kaito, is. A very gruff, very, very much into Kyoto. You will respect my dojo. Get out of here. Be- I hate to use this phrase. Be gone, thoughts. Uh, who? He's a good guy, but he's a little rough around the edges, is a little bit of a hothead, and a little too competitive. He is the cousin to Nanao Kurosagi, who is essentially just straight Nagisa. He's straight Nagisa. Yeah. No. Nanao is a playboy who has a bunch of girls following him around at school and does Kyoto with his cousin, like I said, his cousin Kaito. But he is actually really serious about it to the point where he actually has problems with all the girls who keep following him around. And he's a genuinely cheerful and upbeat boy. Ryohei Yamanuchi is Seiya and, and Minato's childhood best friend who got into Kyoto. Yeah. After he got into middle school and sprung up like a bean, he is genuinely a very good boy and the human equivalency of a golden retriever. 
He's he's a sweet. He's a yeah, good friend. friend. <laughs> like he is actually the ultimate bro in this entire show. <laughs> he, he does a lot. So playing he Kaito is. Onogi is Cortland Johnson. Playing Nanao Kisaragi is Clint Beckham. And playing Ryohei Yamanouchi is Gabriel Rigojo. Cortland Johnson, you'll know his characters such as Miyano in Kokaku in Jingming in A Spirit of the Sun. Couldn't become you'll know his characters such as Akihiro Kambara in Beyond the Boundary, Shun Aonuma from From the New World, and Haru in Suritama. Gabriel Rokojo is characters such as Takashi Makimura in Devil's Line, Leon in Mulavru, and time to rip this fucking bandage off! Just do it! He is Alba Saragaki in Dramatical Murder, and before we start this, this is the man! <laughs> because Jed is the smart one who's never had to listen to that dub. I want to say this, and I do not say this lightly. Don't. This is a man who single-handedly gave the worst performance I've ever heard doing this show. Yep. It, it was, yeah, even in a show where the bar was set pretty low, this went even below that. Yep. No, but seriously, like, I just want to say this right now is in all seriousness thing. Like, this is why I want to go first, at least for Ryohei. Gabriel's performance gave me a 180 degree turn on this man's ability to act. This is such a departure oh, yeah. from oh, yeah. how bad Alba's performance is. Like, he is... Takes a little while to get into it, but he gets... He makes Ryohei so endearing as a character. He is such a good boy. And I think that Gabriel really steps up to what he needs to. Like, Ryohei is... Like, I, like we're joking about Ryohei being a bro. Ryohei doesn't understand what's going is going on with, like, his childhood idol and best friend. But he goes out of his way to learn it, to empathize mm -hmm. with him. Which says a lot for, like, a 15-year-old boy. And I think that he does a, a good job in, in capturing that aspect. I'm going to hand over the rest of this to Noah because I want to talk about everything else in order. I just wanted to get out how much of a, a 180 Gabriel gave me on him as an actor. I might as well jump into Gabriel as well, just to keep going off of that, because uh, Ryohei is, like you said, I, he is the best boy in the show. Like, putting aside any thoughts about the per dub performances, he is just the best character in the entire group. He is pure-hearted devoted to getting better for a particularly selfless reason and best yet makes the other characters better just through his virtuosity so you're gonna need someone who can convey that that golden retriever innocence really well uh gabriel's uh portrayal of this is uh using a, a higher male voice with a slight rumble in the back to uh to portray the fact that he is Yes, he is a younger high school student, but he's also... He big boy. Getting, he's, like, taller, too, because he really went through a growth spurt. He is, yeah, yeah, he's the big boy. Um, but he has a lot of enthusiasm. He's really enthusiastic. Like, from the first time we see him through, like, every other part of the show where he gets a speaking role, he's, like, at a consistent 7 out of 10 on the enthusiasm scale, sometimes even higher than that. He also... Gabriel, I'm not sure if this was quite intentional or if this is just his normal speaking pattern, but he gives uh, Ryohei a slight slurred speech that sets him apart from some of the other characters who have cleaner speech patterns. So, which sometimes I don't like. Like, sometimes that gives off a sense of amateurness. But because this character here is meant to be 
uh, more innocent and I suppose less adult than the other ones are, it fits really well with this character. Um, so yeah, what Gabriel did for this one, I, I did not believe that it was Alba from Dramatical Murder when I first saw it. And I am really glad that he's uh, found his groove as a voice actor. I hope he continues to do well. Uh, now let's, uh, Clint Bickham is probably the most fun and the most memorable of the male characters just because he is the, like you said, he is straight Nagisa from Free. And that's not really, uh, that's re not really easy to pull off. It's got to be the kind of goofy, moderate tenor that uh, if you're too goofy, you come off as sounding overly cartoonish. And the key thing about, um, the key thing about his character is that he's also supposed to be very attractive to the girls. Like he is the one who has a fan club who is always cheering for him because of his useful enthusi youthful enthusiasm. So luckily Clint uh, does balance that out with kind of a prissy voice. He's like got this obvious falsetto when he's speaking that's always giving off this really young, almost idolish kind of personality. And it doesn't really change all that much when uh, when he's not around the girls, but there is a bit of a change when he's like in the practicing session. He just, he shifts his personality from being uh, coy with the girls to being upbeat with the guys. So for both of those ends, Clint uh, handles that not too bad. I do, I also do quite like his uh, marhaba uh, way that he uh, calls that off. It apparently means hello in Turkish. It does. But uh, now let's talk about Cortland Johnson, who I'm sorry to say is unconvincing as an actual tough guy, but I'm pretty sure I'm 93.27% sure that that was intentional because uh, Kaito is not an actual tough guy. He like he's not actually intimidating. He, he will not uh, he will not choke a bitch. He is the guy who is trying to compensate for the fact that he is really serious about the sport and does not like others not doing as well as he does. He's the kind of person who has high expectations for himself and expects everyone else to do the same as well. But what Cortland does for him is he, um, well, first of all, speech pattern wise, he gives a slight roll at the end of his words that is kind of the stereotypical uh, tough guy voice. Um, I know uh, in one show, I, I remember um, Midori Days, the lead character rolled his R's when he was trying to sound tough. And that seems to be kind of a similar archetype that Cortland was going for. But He's, uh, you know, he, he's still got his softer sides to him, but he never drops the, the rumble in the, I think it's like in the nose or something. Like, there's a rumble there that only tough guys seem to have. But because the character is just really, really not as tough as he wants to seem, Cortland has to, he has to balance those out. You know, he has to be both tough looking on the outside while really letting us all know he, he's just a puppy dog on the inside. So I'm, I'm not quite sure. It may just have been difficulty in getting to the character, but of the three we're talking about here, Cortland unfortunately ranks third out of three for me. All right, Jet. Okay, um, I guess I will also start with uh, Gabriel. So um, I'm not really familiar with a lot of his other work, because, which I guess honestly kind of applies to a fair chunk of this cast because we don't, because I'm not on Sunday dubs that often. Uh, but it definitely not a pretty solid impression on me. Um, unlike a lot of the other cast members here, I enjoyed it pretty much right off the bat, and he made 
Ariel Hayes had like a bundle of energy, and I really enjoyed the level of enthusiasm he gave to the character. And in general, Ryo Hayes just felt like a really good guy trying his best to help out an old friend, you know, even though he didn't really know too much about how to actually deal with target panic. And I thought his determination to help out Minato was uh, kind of nice. And, um, you know, and uh, much like with uh, Cortland Johnson's Kaito, uh, Gabriel made Ryohei feel like the kind of guy who just wears his heart on the sleeve and is an all-around just a very likable dude. Uh, moving on to Clint Bickham. Uh, uh, Clint Bickham in general is pretty consistent, and I'd say that was more or less the same case here. Uh, I felt like he had a little bit of trouble finding the exact level of softness he wanted to go for for the first couple of lines, but uh, he found his groove pretty quickly, and he did a good job of making an out sound like a, a pretty laid-back dude who just kind of maybe typically goes with the flow a little bit, uh, while still being pretty energetic and excitable. And it was kind of fun seeing him play off of some of the other guys in the main group. But Hukuru was really nice seeing how he played off of Cortland Johnson's Kaito, since Clint's very soft and relaxed tone, and contrast to Cortland's gruffness made their interactions sound really entertaining. And you can tell why these two characters were friends, even if they were pretty much total opposites. Uh, speaking of which, the moment that, per that probably sold me on Clint's performance the most here was uh, definitely that moment where Nana kind of admits that he reason he got into Kido to begin with was because he really wanted to support Kaito. And uh, that he just kind of wants to be there for him, since Kaito is kind of an awkward guy, and uh, I thought that was pretty nice. And uh, it's definitely the most serious we've seen it now about basically anything, and I thought Clint did a really good job of slowing that moment, and it was kind of sweet. And uh, moving on to Cortland Johnson as Kaito. I will admit that out of the entire main cast, this is the one I had the hardest time getting behind for a good while. Uh, like with Masaki and the Weasley twins, uh, Cortland Johnson's one. <laughs> I can't get over it, I'm sorry! Look, if you if you don't want to be compared to the Weasley twins, don't make your twins redheads. It's just that simple. <laughs> okay, um, so like with Masaki and the twins, uh, Cortland Johnson's voice felt like a little too deep here, even though the character was clearly supposed to be kind of a gruff dude. And uh, in addition to maybe sounding like a little bit stiff, you know, it also kind of sounded a little not like an actual teenager, so it threw me off in the first few episodes. Uh, however, as the show went on and we got to spend more time with Kaito, Cortland's performance gradually became a little bit more nuanced, and he was able to emote well enough that I could feel the character's sincerity beneath Kaito's generally gruff behavior, and uh, how he's got a lot more passion and earnestness about his goals that his appearance would kind of generally suggest. And by the end of the show, he kind of becomes the heart of the group, and in a weird way, he kind of reminded me of Kuwabar from Yu Yu Hakusho, both in terms of being a meathead. <laughs> okay, both in terms of being, like, the meathead who's ultimately kind of the most emotional person in the, in the group, and also in terms of having a voice that really doesn't seem like it should be lot to a high schooler, but kind of works out in the end. And while I can't say that Cortland's performance uh, was quite as endearing to me as uh, Chris Evans' Kumabara was, like, episode one of Yu Hakuto makes me cry almost every time for a reason. Uh, <laughs> uh, he definitely improved the most out of the entire cast for me, and I went from being turned off from him in the beginning to wanting to hear him in more things, so to Cortland Johnson, I say good job. Alright. Neat. I'm gonna start with the easy one. Clint Bickham is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> he is adorable. And he's so 
he has a lot of energy and pep to him. And he's like, guys, we can do it. Let's do this thing. And he's so cute and adorable. <laughs> and I love every second of it. But similar to like what Jet was kind of saying about it too, he, he does have his moments where he kind of loses that a little bit, but mostly to explain like his motivations and things like that. I know Jet brought up explaining why he joined Keto in the first place. Um, I have to bring up, remember how... Uh, Nanao talked about the hat he got from Kaito as a mm-hmm. present and what mm-hmm. it really meant to him. I love that scene for, for Clint Bigham because he was just like explaining, yeah, he got me this hat because he knew that I really liked this. What was it? I think it was like a sports team or something. It's baseball. It was baseball. a baseball team or something. Yes. He's like, he knew I really liked it, even though he doesn't know anything about baseball. And I cherish it uh, still the same way. And it was a really nice scene. And I really like that. Um, but, but, Nanao, very peppy, very adorable, love it. Um, I am going to agree on all counts with, um, I'm going to agree on all counts with Cortland Johnson, uh, because I've never heard of this individual before in my life. Uh, really? No, I have not. And, uh, because of that, I'm also in agreement with Jet that he was the one that I had the biggest adjustment period to. Um, be- mostly because I never heard of him before in my life, but also because considering the character, it was a little bit rough to start with. However, um, after a few episodes uh, and kind of understanding the dynamic of the casting and the performances and the personalities of these characters and getting to know a little bit more about Kaito in general. Because if, if in terms of character development, I would say it would be, in terms of the boys, uh, Minato, Seiya, and then Kaito, in terms of development. Kaito would be third among the five main boys here. Um, hmm. So the more we, I got to learn about Kaito and his story and his personality, the more I got into to, um, to his performance. Uh, and I ended up enjoying it by the end. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my, how far we have come, Gabriel Rogojo. <laughs> Holy mother of God. Um, Seems like just yesterday, doesn't it? Feels like it. Because here's my thing. I never paid attention to Gabriel Rogojo after dramatical murder. And with good reason. But now here I am. What, it's been, what, it's been like... Three, maybe four years since we did the episode. I try to, pur- I try to purge watching that from my memory. Same. <laughs> That's a lie. I made a bunch of people. No. no, wait. We made a bunch of people watch the OVA last year because we all got the voice of Rohan wrong in JoJo's, including your boyfriend. And it was hysterical. I think. I think. Like I think I missed that. I, mi- I think that. I missed that, and it was. You I, missed Sufferable. I did. I happened to miss it. I was very disappointed because I wanted to hear it. It was because uh, this is my favorite past. One of my favorite pastimes. Hearing people suffer through the OVA. Um. But anyway, no. Um. But my, how far we have come. This is a goddamn 180. Holy mother of God. Um. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, like you you think I joke, but holy shit, uh, no. Gabriel as Ryohei is a complete one eighty for sure, um, compared to what we've heard him do before here, and 
I think it's great because Ryohei is such, he's also an adorable goober, not to the same extent as Nanao, um, but he is such a supportive person and he cares about everybody and he's just, he is very adorable to some, at points, he's very adorable at points and at first I didn't fucking believe that this was Gabriel Rogojo, I will not lie about this because of course I am one of the vocal people who with opinions on Gabriel Rogojo as Alba. But at the end of the day, I am just floored by how well done this performance is. It's completely turned my opinion around. He gets he gets the personality, he gets the uh, the bits of this character, like he's the supportive friend, he wants to make sure everything is fine and dandy. Um, but he also has his own flaws and his own weaknesses too, because out of the five guys, main guys in that, in that club, he's the one with the least experience with Kudo. So he has his own hurdles that he has to overcome as well throughout the course of the show. So seeing the progression that Ryo has to go through too is very nice and well done. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I want to see Gabriel Rogojo in more things. I fucking said it. Gasp. I fucking Audible said gasp. <laughs> but yeah. Like, Audible gasp. You, you can't see me, but I'm holding a tub of margarine here. It says, I can't believe I just heard that. Yeah. But yeah, like, with this performance, I'm willing to give him another shot. I, I, I'm sure I completely passed him by during Dramatical Murder, but like, with this, I'm willing to give him another shot. Absolutely. Give him another <laughs> shot. Shot. Shut up. <laughs> Bottom line, all three of his performances, Cortland Johnson is probably the roughest of the three. Um, but he does adjust to it eventually very well. But holy mother of God, Gabriel Grosjean. Wow. <laughs> I am still floored. I need to pick up my jaw off the floor. Excuse me for a few minutes. Okay, cool. I'll go. Uh, so I already said my feelings in Gabriel Grosjean, and I'm with stuff. I'd actually would like to hear him in more things as well. I think he did. He turned my opinion around on him. So welcome back into not peeing the worst. <laughs> Congratulations, dude. You, you got a redemption arc, man. Yes. Um... So let's get, I'll go through now because now is to me of the five uh, main teammates and uh, of the class. I think that now is the person I think who settled into his performance easiest. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I like, thank God they didn't like, I love Greg Ayers to pieces. Thank God this was not Greg Ayers. Um, no, he's somewhere else in the yeah, show. Yeah, he is somebody. He is a very minor character in the show. But my biggest fear was that they would have had Nanao act very Clint act very similar to uh, Greg's take as Nagisa in Free. Uh, but thankfully, they are not. They are they are differentiated enough from each other that they don't sound too similar. And I think because this is a Kyoto animation show, you always have that fear that that's there. Um, I think that he does. I think what I really like about it is that. I think he kind of has, like, that annoying, slightly older brother vibe towards Kaito. A little bit. Because they, again, they are cousins. They are each other's cousins. That's why they they know each other so well. And I think that Nanao is also uh, kind of the most level-headed member of the five. He is very much the... They say Say is the brains of the operation, but it is very clear that Nanao is the spine. Yes. Um, he's the best. Nanao is the Nanao is the only one holding it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, he is kind of the most well-adjusted of them all, despite despite having girls coming out the wazoo at him. To which, especially from having girls coming out all the, over him. Um, I think one of my favorite moments in that is when Ryohei is like, "Are you bragging to me, bro?" 
And because he's like, I need, oh, thank God you came. I was getting swarmed by girls. And Ryohei's like, dude, the fuck? Um, so I think Clint does things I really genuinely like about Clint Bickham. I've gone on multiple times on Sentai episodes about how much I fucking love Clint Bickham in things. Clint Bickham is my, like one of my favorite actors at Sentai for a reason. Uh, so let's talk about Cortland Johnson as Kaito. Um, I do think that he takes the longest of the main five to settle into his role. However, once he settles in, I, I genuinely really, really like it. Um, he, the way he plays Kaito, you can tell that he was 100% invested in doing the show. Mm-hmm. So much so that the gentleman follows me on Twitter. Um, he follows me on Twitter. And I had mentioned that I got really emotional to this show. And he actually said he got really emotional when they found out about uh, Masaki being in the car accident. Yes. Like, he got really, he got really teared up for that. And it shows, because, like, he, he gets, I think Noah really nailed his character, which is, this is a guy who acts tough and gruff and, like, stuff, because this is the only way his brain knows how to function. Like, he's a cuto brain. Like, that's actually really funny, is that's the parallel between him and, and Minato, is that they are basically the same person. Kaito is just a lot more aggressive about it. I half expected him to say something like, there's no crying in Kyoto. Basically, no, like, Kaito is a guy that, like, literally will do, he does things because he cares about people, but he's also very dumb. He's also very (laughs) dumb and passionate. And I, like, I think out of all the characters, Kaito is the character I would be out of everybody, and it's very apparent. So, so he is Kuwabara. He is Kuwabara. He is Kuwabara. He's, he's, as somebody who is also very passionate and very driven towards, like, one specific thing, and if you're not keeping up the way I am, I get kind of upset. It's a performance that I relate to, and I think he does capture that really well, because I have 100% been fucking Kaito. Like, I have 100% been Archery Bakugo. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that Cortland for because this is like the first thing I think I've ever actually seen him in too. Yeah, me too. So I've never. I I was this isn't a case where like I never want to see you act again. This is a case of, hey, you did a good job. There are things you can improve on. You could. There are things you can improve on. Keep at it because I want to see you do more things. And one day you too can be a person in our next segment. (laughs) Um. One day you two could pull a staff and be like, I want Scott Gibbs in more dramatic roles. Yes. But uh, I I really liked this Kaito. Like, I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite of the, ma- of the main characters, because I think we're about to get to my favorite performance. Uh, because he's also my favorite character. So, <laughs> that being said, let's move on to our final set of quest- characters. Originally, we were going to talk about one of these separately, so I had this section called Minato Suitors. <laughs> as a joke. <laughs> But let's talk about kind of the main, the, I guess, like, the main three, the last three members of Kaze Maihai. They are Seiya Takehaya, Minato's other childhood best friend. He is essentially the, the brains of the team. He is the captain. He is the one who knows that Minato can still shoot and does some slightly underhanded things to get Minato to come back to the team. A little bit. He, he also has really bad codependency on Minato. A little bit. Like, a lot of it. Um, yeah. He has a very interesting character arc. Uh, if you were comparing these to Free, Seiya's basically Makoto. Seiya's the Makoto. Mm. He really is. Ryohei, Ryohei would probably be Rei. 
and Kaito would yeah. be Kaito would definitely be Reen. Seiya is one hundred percent the Makoto, but a lot more angsty. Now would be the Nagisa. Yeah, Nanao is obviously Nagisa. And also be, if I can say it, say is a lot of things I wish that they would have done with Makoto in Free. Um, and I love Makoto from Free. So then we also have Mas- Masaki Takigawa. Masaki is the mysterious man with the owl that Minato runs up to in the mountains in the first, in the forest in the first episode and believes him to be a ghost. Turns out he's not a ghost. But he's haunted by the, he's haunted by his relationship with his grandfather, who was his Kudo teacher. And Masaki is honest to God the most fascinating character in this entire show. Yeah. Like he is he is single handedly like a big reason why I like this show a lot. <laughs> I do I do not understand why the show wasn't all about him. Honestly same. Um <laughs> Honestly, same, but we'll But who we'll is the there. show actually about? The show is actually about Minato Mariyama, a uh, 15-year-old boy who lost his mother in a horrific car accident to the point that I think they said he was in the hospital for, like, what, 10 days? Something like that. Exactly how like, he was, he was in the hospital. His mother perished in the accident. His mother straight up passed away. Yes. Uh, he has a massive scar in his stomach from it. And he eventually develops target panic because of reasons, but he he gets over it by the end in a really, actually, beautifully triumphant moment. Uh, So, but playing these characters, playing Seiya Takihaya is Gareth West, playing Masaki Takigawa is Joe Daniels, and playing Minato uh, Marayama is Bryson Vegas. Gareth West, you'll know his characters such as Akihiro uh, Tsukuba, and Shihaya Furu, uh, Yasuda in Haven't You Heard I'm Sakamoto, and Itsu Takeda in Haikyuu. Joe Daniels will know his characters such as Yosuke Asami in Devil's Line, Monata Suzuki in Chihaya Furu, and Wakatoshi Ishijima in Haikyuu. Bison- Bryson Begish will know his characters such as Shoyo Hinata in Haikyuu, Bell in Danmachi, and Kenichi Yoshi in Devil's Line. Also be yes, the main two rivals in this show are played by the two main uh, leads in Haikyuu. You can all make your jokes. Um, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Didn't think of that. Ah, shit. That, that is for you two. But Jet, Jet, have you seen the show yet? Haikyuu. 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 Uh, I have seen the show, not the dub. Ah, okay. Yeah, um, Minato and uh, Shu are Kageyama and uh, and Hinata. That's a fun casting gag. Anyway, Noah, ahead. Noah, go ahead. Touch it. All right. Yeah. This is uh. This is gonna be a part where we really get into the nitty gritty about what what makes a good what drives a show. Um, let's talk about Seiya first because, um, at the first offset, uh, I almost got the sense that maybe he was British because uh, the way that Gareth speaks, uh, he's got this light, feathery, and older timbre to him, sort of like he was trying to emulate someone who was from another country. Um, I think it was more. Uh, it wasn't so much to give a sense that he was foreign. It was more of a I'm older and older feeling and wiser than you know my my juvenile high school students are, which we find out is almost a bit of a facade because about halfway through the show we find out that um, his his composed put togetherness is entirely dependent upon Minato continuously being around. Um, yeah, codependence. Toxic codependence is a good way to describe that. And Gareth's uh, way to portray is that his mask never quite goes down. He continuously has the air of confidence to him. He's got this almost announcer voice, 
mixed with a whisper in the way that he speaks. Like, he's not a booming voice all like this, but he's a very serious voice like this that really commands a sense of, I am the leader of the group. It's not just the glasses, but it's actual Gareth's voice that really portrays the sense of, I am confident, I am leadership material. But he, when he breaks down, because he's confronted on why he's actually on the team, why he does Kudo, and he kind of, uh, he runs away with his tail between his legs, and in that Gareth never loses the pitch that he has with him, but he does gain a sense of vulnerability that he portrays pretty well. It's the kind of uh, twisting character that you can believe uh, because Gareth seems to get this personality trait very well. Someone who has the offset of I'm composed and in control of my life when if you just scratch beneath the surface just a little bit, you'll find out that's total bullshit. And I think a lot of us who went through high school can relate to that. Um, I cannot relate to having an owl, though, which makes me very, very envious of Masaki, because that is something that is just too cool for words. In fact, I even wrote down here, he is the owl guy. But what can you say about Joe Daniels' portrayal? Um, it's calm and low. Um, I almost wanted to say he was emulating a J. Michael Tatum performance at first. Um, but maybe that was just more of the um, fact that I had been watching Summer Wars, where uh, Tatum plays a very prominent role before I had started watching the show. But uh, by about episode two, once Joe has gotten a chance to um, lay, bear his soul down as to uh, that he's trying to get over uh, the, like you said, Megan, the, the ghost or the legacy that his grandfather is kind of hoarding over him. Um, we get to see someone who is dealing with that very well. I, I think he's gives all the sense of, I'm progressing by confronting this issue. I am helping the next generation of archers. And at the end of the day, like at the very last episode, he finally takes his 10,000th shot to move forward with his life. So we get both the serious and the soft portions from Joe. Now on to Brian, who is Bryson. 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 My handwriting is awful. Bryson is definitely the most dynamic sounding, the most dynamic acting of the group. Like even more so than Clint, because he's soft, like his voice is soft, but he's highly didactic. He's got this very sing-song-like way of speaking throughout the whole thing that is pretty typical of. Uh, lead male roles where they're they're supposed to be the everyman. They're supposed to be the emulation of every fear and insecurity of high schoolers, while still giving off the sense of of lead of going towards being a better person. Um, in this case, maybe not entirely by choice, because uh, we could talk about uh, how he gets back into the club, which isn't entirely consensual. But once he does get finally back into it to confront his target practice, he uh, Bryson does give off the sense of I am working towards getting better, especially with the entire team. I don't really uh, think that there is any better way that they could have performed it um, for the way that it was written, um, especially because Kyoto is just not a sport that has any, to my knowledge, anime entirely devoted to it, so they had to pave new ground on this one. How do you portray a Kyoto player who's suffering from target panic? Well, follow Bryson's example in this show. Um, Shit. okay. Um, so I guess I'll start off with Joe Daniels. Um, I'll be honest with you that I found his performance a little off-putting for the first couple of episodes. Uh, continuing the trend with uh, some of the other actors here, I thought his voice sounded a little too deep for the character to decide at first. 
And his acting was a little sift to me in the beginning since it felt like he was having a bit of a rough time getting into the character. Uh, but once he did, I found his performance to be fairly consistent. And I will say that I liked his calm sense of confidence in his voice and it helped with his attempts to come off as, you know, a very cool and wise instructor and, you know, very down to earth and I thought that was pretty nice. Uh, but of course, as we learned over the course of the show, uh, he's not as down to earth as he wants you to think he is and his feelings towards Kyoto are mostly based on resentment. And uh, as we learn more about Misaki's history with his grandfather, we see that confident tone kind of break a little bit. And uh, Joe manages to soften up his tournament during some of those moments of reflection. And um, and uh, those are definitely the moments where he kind of shined the most. Um, I don't think he was able to emote maybe quite as much as the role probably required, but I found his performance like gradually improve as the show went on. Uh, and especially during some of the later episodes, uh, again, when we really get to see him dive more into that resentment. Okay, and uh, definitely the like sense of calm and relief he felt at the end when he was finally taking that 10,000 shot. I thought that was really nice. And, um, okay, and, uh, yeah, uh, by the end of the show, I was definitely interested in seeing uh, what else Joe might have to, to offer in other shows, so I guess that's as good an endorsement as any. Uh, moving on to Gareth West, which was uh, probably my favorite performance in the show. Uh, he's another actor whose work I wasn't really all that familiar with, but I was really impressed by just how much he was able to nail the character pretty much right away. I did a great job of giving Say a very soft and supportive tone, and unlike Clint Pickens for now, which has kind of a little bit of spunk to it, Gareth makes Say sound very reserved and put together while also having one of the most distinctive voices of the whole cast. And I also really dug a lot of his interactions with the other characters and how he maintains, you know, the very serious leader attitude around uh, Kaito, Ryohei, and now, And how he's generally just kind of more relaxed around Minato and, you know, the kind of quiet start he gives off whenever he's around Misaki since he clearly doesn't like the guy that much. Uh, but great as all those bits were, though, what really impressed me with how he handled, say, his mini-arc where he kind of... Starts to question his attachment to Kudo, and uh, we learn more about his kind of codependence on Minato. And uh, Gareth really sold that mix of frustration and happiness that was going through Seiya's mind in those moments. And uh, I also kind of got the impression that uh, Seiya's attachment to Minato, I mean to Minato, my bad, uh, might have also partially been out of guilt because he might have felt like a little bit responsible for what happened to Minato's mom, because... Oh no, that's it's not subtext, it's full text that he does. Uh, um, yeah, okay, behind it. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to be sure I was not the only one who got that vibe, but... Oh no, like, that is very clearly the reason why he does what he does. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I definitely felt like those choices of guilt in Garrett's performance, and um, it really helped to sell me on it, and for someone whose work I was very unfamiliar with going in, this was a really great first impression, and I really want to see a lot more of him in the future, because this was definitely my favorite performance in the dub. Um... And then lastly, for Bryson Vegas as Minato, um, Bryson Vegas, I pretty much enjoyed him in pretty much everything I've heard of him so far, and this show was definitely no exception. Uh, Minato was a character who's dealing with quite a lot between, you know, the loss of his brother and his ongoing get you with target panic, and Bryson does a good job of selling his character arc. And uh, when we first introduced Minato, he's been pretty quiet while, you know, he's not, like, socially reserved or anything. Uh, he did seem to have, like, a whole ton of confidence left in himself, and Bryson's sort of voice that really reflects that, as he makes Minato sound very kind of uneasy and troubled for those first few episodes. 
Uh, but as the show goes on, I mean, after he spends more time with both the other team members and Misaki, uh, he starts to, you know, overcome some of those doubts, and Bryson's performance becomes a little more steady and confident. And uh, by the end of the show, he kind of goes from being seen as the weak link of the groups, the one who kind of helps to pull them all together in the end. And while he never quite breaks away from being quiet, I did walk away from the series feeling really like his development here was pretty well earned. And it was all largely due in part to Bretson's performance as he uh, pretty much hit every beat he needed to. Uh, that said, while I like Minato, I will say that on the whole, his art kind of felt like maybe a little short for me as far as being like a protagonist goes. Uh, well, there wasn't anything like particularly wrong with his character arc, and I do appreciate that they didn't wait till the very end of the show for him to get over his target panic, but I felt like once he did, there kind of wasn't a whole ton for him left to do. And the finale with him pulling the team together felt more like typical Jordan sports stuff than, you know, kind of life-changing growth, which I was sort of expecting. Uh, I mean, I guess I felt like I would have maybe liked things a little bit more if the loss of his mother was given a little more focus, but, uh, for what it is, I thought his arc was fine, and, again, Bryce's performance did a really good job and, uh, kind of endearing, uh, I mean, not to as a character to me. So, uh, Nippus aside, Bryce did an excellent job here, and while he wasn't like to stand out for me, uh, he definitely brought one of the most consistent performances to this time, but it was really good stuff. Cool. So it's it's kind of amusing when Noah said that Joe Daniels kind of reminded him of a J. Michael Tatum kind of character. I was thinking Ian Sinclair. <laughs> that's straight up I what mean, I, I was see thinking. That too. Um, so that's kind of funny. But um, talking a little bit about Joe Daniels, because obviously I don't know who Joe Daniels is. This is my first time hearing this person. I'm hearing a lot of people here for the first time today. It's interesting how this Welcome could... to the miseducation of Lilac. Look here. This is how my life works. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but um, aside from Joe Daniels kind of sounding like Ian Sinclair, which is a very interesting comparison to make, um, to the point where I almost thought it was actually Ian Sinclair using a pseudonym since he has done Sentai sh <laughs> shows before, but then I came to the realization, no, he would just say it's him. Anyway. So he'd be a, he'd be funny and just write it backwards. <laughs> God damn it! Um, but anyway, I I do agree. I do agree that it took a little bit for me to get into Joe Daniels' performance. I think the first initial episode where we're introduced to the character that was that was that was where the transition point was because I think after because he's introduced episode one, episode two ish, I believe. Um, the very, very, very end, fairy tale end of episode one. one, but we get a bit more at the start of episode two. And I feel like episode three is where he really like kind of comes in for the first time. For sure. Yes. But sure. I think <laughs> after the initial introduction, to episode two, like where we really solidly get him in there. Um, every time, He's every dead. time after that, he gets a it. It actually flows rather well because um, I found Joe to be both kind of a mellow performance, like kind of soothing in a way um but it was also because the character himself he does have little secrets throughout the show so i kind of sense like a little bit of like a mischievous vibe off of him too like a like a mystery like question mark kind of vibe off of him um so i do like what was going on with joe daniel's performance and he was a very interesting dynamic among like these five teenage boys and these adult men um he was definitely an interesting and make for a different dynamic within the casting and the group. 
Um, Gareth West. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Um, the only other role that I'm very, very familiar with Gareth West is, of course, Haikyuu, where he is this, like... He's like the puppy dog teacher. He's the puppy dog teacher, and I love the puppy dog teacher. So here, he really got to—he really got a more a character that has more depth to him in Say I feel, and he really got to sink his teeth into this one, because um, Gareth was uh, wow, what I fucking write here. Steph can read. Steph can. I read. can read. I can read. Uh, Gareth West is um. He's constantly showing, like for me, he's definitely showing a completely different side of his at his acting chops. Um, he's so, he was soft spoken yet very determined. He has he takes on the leadership role and he has like a dignity and a grace about him, um, which really works for the character. But then later on down the line, once we get the mini arc where Seiya becomes a very prominent character and we contend with his codependency issues, we contend with his actual like love of Kudo and if he actually does like it we contend with his disgust for Masaki it's very like there's a lot going on there and it becomes very complicated for Seiya very quickly and I think Gareth handles that all in stride um it it ends up being a very mature yet troubled side of the character um and I loved every bit of that mini arc so in terms of Gareth West I am in full agreement with Jet this is my actual favorite performance in the dub like, hands down. Because um, he just really impressed me with all these complexities that Seiya has. Um, and he's able to just bring them full force. Um, and then as for Bryson, I also love Bryson. He's adorable. I have not had a bad thing about Bryson ever. And I want to keep it that way. Um, Bryson, he, Minato, he's a very kind-hearted. He's a very kind-hearted yet kind like a gentle soul in a way. Um, yet he's also kind of troubled with his trigger panic, and basically, because the main thing for him is, with his trigger panic, he also kind of lost a part of himself. So, the big character arc for Bryson and, and as Minato is he's basically finding that confidence again, trying to regain himself in a way. But no, he's trying to basically find himself again, as a, as a person and his confidence um, with his target panic and it's a very interesting captivating arc and he has a lot of heart to him um, and he Bryson does a fantastic job with this character and he has a, an interesting dynamic too I, I think my favorite interactions though when it comes to Bryce is him is uh, Minato's interactions with Kaito because at first Kaito hates the ever loving shit out of him but then you realize that they're basically almost the same person. That they don't exactly, they aren't exactly able to express themselves that well. Um, and they are very awkward little dorks. So having those interactions between the two and seeing that relationship kind of grow into a really good friendship. Where, because at the end, before the last match, there's the bit where they're arguing about shit. And all of a sudden, Minato just calls Kaito by his actual first name for the first time in the show. And Kaito just gets pissed. He's like, don't, yeah, yeah he don't call me by that, da 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 And he's like, listen here. Minato just, like, finally takes a stand. He's like, listen here. <laughs> Minato finally gets his, Minato finally gets his spine. Yes. 
And it's like, it like, and then everybody listens like, oh shit. So it takes, it's, it actually ends up being coming full circle where he finally just takes control and takes command of the situation. Um, so there's a lot of complexities in Bryson's character of Minato as well. Um, and I think he just plays them all very wonderfully. But the standout for me of this group and for the show is for sure Gareth West. Like I hate, like I hate to break the serious tone here, but for a moment. But uh, so, okay, but someone just showed me a picture of a gender swap version of Asa from Black Clover, and your boyfriend just told me he would hit that. So, uh, which one? <laughs> which boyfriend? Which boyfriend? Which of our boyfriends? Which boyfriend? Friend. Do, do I even have to say which one? Fucking hell! <laughs> it's mine, isn't it? Working. It's working, mine, isn't it? <laughs> I refuse to take this out of the episode. <laughs> it's mine, isn't it, Jet? Yes. God I, I damn it, where is this shit? Where is, <laughs> where is Horny? Where is this we Jet? Like... I have to see this now. It's in our, it's in our... Is it in the main chat? It's yeah. in the main chat. He doesn't say that he'd tap it. <laughs> I have to find this now. <laughs> I have to find it. It's in, it's in like, our main chat. It's in our main group chat. Well... While Steph goes and looks at her boyfriend doing dumb, horny things, as always, let me talk about this. I'm actually going to start with Minato, because I actually really actually have a lot of things to say about Misaki and Seiya as characters, and especially how they treat each other. Um, Bryson is a really solid lead actor for this. I am very, very used to Bryson being very loud, shouty characters, and very pompous characters. Like, the three things, like... Hinata is literally, like, on caffeine 24-7, and I haven't watched season two of Haikyuu, or, like, mo- like, I've watched- Okay, I've watched season two of Haikyuu, I haven't watched it in English yet, but that's the season where Hinata starts kind of going through some shit and gets, like, character development beyond, like, I'm short. So, hearing Bryson play Minato, who is a lot, like, a, has a lot going on- I think he handles it very admirably, and I like that he never, like, goes... Sorry, hold on a second. <coughs> Bless you. The fact that Bryson never has Minato go over the top in any of his panic or any of his freakouts, like, even when he's internally panicking, like, it's not, like, oh my god, like, shonen level character shit. Even in his final thing where he, he talks... He's very, very calm and very matter-of-fact about why the team shoots in the order it does, which is a beautiful moment, by the way, where Minato finally realizes why he's in the fifth position. It's because he was so used to everybody being there to back him up and just being dependent on them instead of realizing we all have to work in harmony. Yes. And God, I fucking love that scene so much. Uh, Bryson does such a good job with that. And... You guys have kind of gotten a lot of what I have to say about Bryson out there, so let's talk about Joe and Gareth, who, I'm not gonna lie, one of my favorite moments in the show is after, uh, and this is one of the things that really kind of sparks uh, Masaki into to doing what he has to do, is that he also says to Seiya, are you sure you like Kudo? Which is what sent him on to his target panic at the same age. And eventually, Masaki doesn't get target panic and kind of gets over his stuff. And he goes back to him and he says, So, uh, Seiya, do you, do you like Kudo? And Gareth's delivery of, like, 
I don't know how I feel about Kuda, but then the immediate absolute confident in Gareth's wisp to go, yeah, but I know I hate you, Masaki. <laughs> and Masaki just kind of looks at him like, I'm not even mad, I'm impressed. Mm. Um, also, they there's also probably one of my other favorite lines is, are you sure you're, are you okay with taking coaching from somebody you hate? There's a difference between skill and personality. And I'm like, that's absolutely savage. Um, but I'll start with Gareth. Gareth is probably my second favorite performance in the show. He is really fucking good, though. Like, the thing I like about him playing Seiya is that, and Noah got a lot of it, I didn't get the more, like, british aspect, but what I did get was the voice of a 15-year-old kid who thinks he knows what the fuck he's doing, yes. but he isn't. Yes. But he does no idea what the fuck he's doing. Because nobody knows what the fuck you want to do with What they're doing. And that's and that's what I want to talk about, which is a, a really big reason of why I like this show. And I'll get to it, like, the most in Final Thoughts. Um, but Seiya goes through a lot because Seiya's also, like, as Masaki, Min Minato kind of, and Bryson kind of gets more confidence in his speaking and the way that he interacts with people, uh, you can tell that Seiya's getting a lot more insecure and it kind of very much sounds like a 15-year-old who is like, my best friend is being taken away from me. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and so, which culminates in, in Masaki asking a question that he should... Like, that... Yeah, it's a really harsh question to ask that breaks him and it causes uh, Seiya to have to confront that... He does feel like he is 100% responsible for the death of his best friend's mom and his best friend being horrifically injured. Like, the stuff with, uh, I think Mar- I think Margaret McDonald is baby Saya. It's either Margaret McDonald or Avery is ba- or Avery is baby Saya, and it also breaks my heart, but we're gonna focus on Gareth. Gareth takes this and absolutely gets into it. He bathes in the drama and the- and the beauty of this performance, and he treats it like he's cooking a, a fine steak. Which is a really weird analogy to make, I know, but follow me. But I want to talk about who I actually think is my favorite performance in the show. That's obviously because Masaki is also my favorite character, so I'm slightly biased. I actually really, really like Joe Daniels as Masaki. And I'm not as familiar with his work because... Frankly, number one, I haven't watched the dub of season two of Haikyuu. And number two, his character has the most to do in season three of Haikyuu. His character is the primary antagonist of season three of Haikyuu. To which they're working Just on the dub for that anyway. So. They're working on the dub for that right now, so I could say that. That he's confirmed to be working on that. I think that the fact that Masaki does sound so all over the place in his tone actually works for this. Normally, I'd have a lot of problems with that. Masaki is not a stable individual. <laughs> he is a man that is going through a lot, too. Like, he is putting on a face, and sometimes that face is easily taken off and vulnerable. And it's really weird that you see a character in their 20s in an anime get this. Especially in a show that still focuses mostly on the teenagers. Like, Yuri on Ice, this is not... Um, run with the wind, this ain't. Nope. Mm -mm. Um, these characters are still predominantly in high school, but to me, Misaki's arc is the most captivating because he is closer to me in age. And I think that Joe really does 
in his performance, work through one of the big themes that you end up finding out about the show, which is when you're a kid, you think all of the adults in your life have it together. But when you get to that point in your life, you feel yourself like you're not there. And that's something Masaki 100% expresses. And I think that's the moment that's an absolute pivotal highlight of Joe's performance is when Joe and Tomi are talking and he says that and he's like, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought when I got to this point in my life, I would be a full-fledged adult and I wouldn't have these doubts in my mind, but here I am and I don't think I'm worthy to be considered an adult. And you realize that Masaki is doing a lot of this coaching gig, not because at the first he genuinely cared about these kids. Obviously, by the end, he does genuinely care about the kids, but that he's doing it out of his own toxic self, uh, self-assurance. Because face it, all of us in our lives have done something out of spite and resentment for somebody else. And there are characters that I that are in other shows, like I really love Bungo's Stray Dogs Chuya Nakahara, whose character basically entirely runs on spite out of Osama Dazai. But that's played for comedic effect, but in this show it's played for a drama, and I think that Joe really does nail that in his performance. He's deeper, and he sounds more older than the kids, despite not looking that old. I don't mind that he sounds a little bit older, because frankly, he kind of has to deepen his voice because some of the high schoolers don't exactly sound like high schoolers, and that's just a thing all over in anime, including in the subs. Don't you fucking bring that shit into my house. There's no way in hell that Junichi Suwabe will ever sound like a 15-year-old. Fight me. I love that man, but he never will sound like a 15-year-old boy to me. Um, I think that Joe is a really big standout in this, and I am really, really looking forward to hearing him as uh, Ishijima in Haikyuu Season 3, and I would love to see him pop up in other things that Sentai has. I actually really do want to kind of see him potentially, hopefully, please, for the love of God, I'm going to say this again, dub Run With The Wind and that he's a character in it. I just don't know which one. Probably the smoker guy. Jet knows exactly who I'm talking about. I'm letting this go way over my head. You should watch- run so quickly that his shoes catch on fire? No, as in he smokes. I was being generous. Okay. Run with the Wind is a great fucking anime and you both should watch it. Um, But that being said, let's move into final thoughts. (laughs) So, Noah, take it away. Alright, we'll wrap this up pretty quickly. Um, We spent a lot of time focusing on individual performances, and even though I was pretty harsh on the writing and direction when I started this, uh, you may notice I actually have some pretty good things to say about the actors overall, because even though this is not a show that I think is very strong, and it's not something that I would normally seek out, it is a show that gave us some performers that we don't normally hear from, or have got a bad reputation, a chance to redeem themselves a little bit. Like, I don't think I could point to any one performance in here and say, like, this was a bad performance or that this was uh, one that should have been covered by somebody else. But they do have the handicap of dealing with a very weak sauce uh, sports show because it, it kind of is trying to have the seriousness of an adult show while maintaining the uh, happen youth of... The same free demographic appeal where um, small moments are really important. And that's really difficult to do for a sports show like this, especially one with Kyoto that is uh, structured in a way that individual shots are the way of the game as opposed to a baseball or a soccer anime. But the whole point on the dub is that it is, I think, slightly less good, that's a word, than the uh, Japanese overall. 
but if you're more comfortable with a dub, then you can go to this one, and nothing's going to be lost in the process. There just may be some emotional hurdles that take a little longer to get over. Like uh, these other three were saying, it took a little while for them to get into their performances. That's a bit of a shame, but by the end, they did manage to hit at least the second most outer circle of this dub target. Okay, um, so for me, all in all, I found it to be a pretty enjoyable show. Um, I like both of the characters and their interactions, and while not every dramatic beat necessarily hit for me, uh, I definitely enjoyed it in that area as well, and I was especially impressed with how the show looked, since, you know, this is the Kyoani joint, and they make good-looking shows. I mean, I wouldn't exactly put this up there with any of my favorite sports shows, since, uh, Seasons 1 of 2 and 3 kind of hit this particular niche a little bit better for me. And uh, Run With The Wind has kind of spawned me on ensemble sports shows wherever. But uh, this is definitely a perfectly solid sports drama with some pretty, pretty boys. And if you're in the market for that, this show should most certainly do you fine. Uh, as for the dub, well, I did find the first couple of episodes to be pretty rough sounding. Once I found its groove, the dub turned out to be a pretty solid experience. And if you're looking to check the show out in English, this should serve your needs just fine, provided you're willing to, you know, tolerate a little bit of growing pain. Um, but uh, all in all, I'm definitely very glad I got to check out this show, since it gave me the chance to, to, you know, get a little familiar with some Senta actors whose work I wasn't super familiar with going in, and I walked away from the show feeling, feeling pretty satisfied. So, yeah, this was a, definitely a pretty good time. Okay. So... Megan has been on my case about watching Serenay since the beginning. <laughs> I have. She has. Um, so I finally I finally got to the point where I agreed to do this episode, so she mostly so she can leave me alone with it. I love your. Are, are you getting something out of this? Like, are you gonna? I well, got a good. I got a good show you... out of this. Is what I got. Aha! Oh. Uh-huh. So. Despite some of the issues with the actual show itself, I did enjoy it immensely. So, first of all, Megan, I love you. <laughs> uh, she knows my tastes very well. Um, but, in terms of the dub itself, there are parts... I know your tastes very well because we literally have the almost exact same taste in anime. I know. I know. Mostly. Except for, <laughs> except for horror. You fucking hate horror. Anyway. Um, but, in terms of the actual dub itself, uh, it's... I'm going to say it's solid. It's not outstanding. There's nothing that's really, really outstanding, maybe except for, like, a few different things here or there. Um, and there are some minor hindrances, such as the roughness from the first couple episodes. Again, what I meant, what I mentioned earlier about some of the very secondary background characters not exactly sounding that well, unfortunately. Um... But I can say that I did enjoy the diversity of the cast here. Uh, it did introduce me to quite a handful of actors I'd never heard of before. It completely turned my opinion around on others. Um, and it gave me some different different roles and different character types for certain individuals that I really get to see, the, see the, them sink their teeth into. Um, so generally speaking, I would say this is a very solid effort for sure. Uh, not one of my not my favorites. It's not one of the most outstanding Sentai dubs I've seen, but it's definitely very very solid, and it is def- and it is very much worth your time uh, to watch both Serenade as well as the dub. All right, so let me be clear that I really fucking like this show. No, um, no. Uh, 
I think out of the four, out of the three of out of the four of us, I like this show the most. Um, like honestly, I think it's one of the underrated anime of last year. Probably up there with Run with the Wind is one of the most underrated series of oh, last year. Oh yeah, this year one flew under the radar. For sure, this flew under the radar. A lot of people slept on it, and a lot of people I know who watched it like just they like I just couldn't get into it. It was kind of boring, and I'm like, you know what? I like really slow burn shit. So, um, I think to me the reason that the stub and dare to me is that I think it was a while not perfect adaptation or take on it, this is a show that is a lot about what it means to to grow up and about some pretty broke-ass people becoming whole again. And while it takes, uh, like the show itself, while the dub takes a little bit to get started once it, once it starts firing, it's really, really good. This is a dub that if you, um, if you were looking to watch, like, just, like, take some time and relax and just want to listen to something really good. I think this is a perfectly serviceable dub. It's not going to, this isn't a, this isn't a dub that I would, I would have given anybody a W for last year. If, if we're going to be kind of clear, cause this, this did come in at the very tail end of contention from last year. I think it was like literally a week away from being pushed into this year. And even if it was pushed, pushed into 20, 2019 contention, uh, it, it probably wouldn't have made it with some, Especially in this year, because there's been a lot of really strong dubs that have come out already. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, I even even for the stronger performances, it's not quite up there with some of the even more strong forms. And like I said, this is a dub that also had to come out in the same season as both Tata and Bloom into You, which had some of our like a lot of people's like standout performances yep. of last mm-hmm. year. Which isn't to say that this like this is not a way to like diminish from this dub. This is just hey, we are here to critique this. This isn't. This is, like, maybe, like, a B grade as compared to an A grade or an S grade. Like, it's not bad. It's not bad. Like, it's not god-fucking-awful garbage ear-bleeding. But at the same time, it is also, uh... Some people would say it's held back by its material. I don't think this is a dub that's held back by its material, like, a ton. There are some characters who might be, but I think, like, the core cast isn't held back by the material. I think that this is a perfectly serviceable dub. I think this is a great show. I don't... I think, for me, this hits the niche that Free Eternal Summer did. And like I said, there are some aspects of it that I like a little bit more than Free Eternal Summer. I think that Seiya's arc is a lot more compelling than Makoto's arc, and I love Makoto. Like, I think, though, though the things I think about Makoto's arc that kind of are similar to Seiya are in high speed... Which I haven't watched yet, and I've been told. But my thoughts on how I feel about the dub of Frey means I'm not watching the dub of that movie. I'm watching the sub. Um, but that being said, if you would like to watch Surene, you can watch the sub on both Crunchyroll and High Dive. But the dub is exclusive to High Dive. Um, if you would like to watch the dubcast, as of this time, it does not have a home release from Sensei Filmworks. Uh, if you would like to follow us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can follow us at Dub Talk Podcast on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, Tumblr. T- Wherever the fuck else we are. We have a Kofi. You can buy Kofis from us in the description below. Speaking um, of broke-ass individuals. Else, you forgot one other thing. Of, we what? have a code for High Dive. We do have a code from High Dive. I just forget what it so is. So if you are interested in catching the show on High Dive, um, we do have a code dubtalk dubtalk uh, 18 or 2018 one of the two and um what it does for you and this is for new and existing members it gets you 50 percent off of one month of your high dev subscription yes 
Now, if you'd like to follow us, everybody introduce yourself super quickly. My name is Noah Clue. I have a Twitter, which is at Noah Clue. Uh, post discussions about animation around the world. And I mean all around the world, even other planets, if we can find them. And I also have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler, to be updated after I have my kid, because in about a week after this episode goes up, I will be a dadder, dad for a dadder for the a third dadder. time. A dadder. Dadder. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations, baby, who we don't know the name of. I, I'll tell I'll tell you once we finalized it because as of a couple of weeks before he's being born we still haven't finalized it. <laughs> oh whoops. We're, we're I think I know what it is but I'll hold off until later. Anyways, Jet. Okay, okay uh, I am okay I am Jet Zero Infinity. You can follow me on Twitter at Divine Nega where I will usually be posting about anime or cartoons or what have you. I also have a blog Animation Infinity where I will occasionally write things. My name is Stephanie and or Lilac, whichever you prefer. I, my Twitter is at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. Uh, and I also have a blog that I need to go back to updating because work is a pain in the butt. Uh, it's um, lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. Cool, and if you want to follow me, I'm Queer 2 on Twitter. You can follow me at Queer 2 or I'm Megan. I shitpost on a daily basis. With that being said, I think we are all out of arrows that we've shot into Noah's corpse. <laughs> Why does it hurt so much? It's your own fault. All right, everybody, say say good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. And otaku. <laughs> Dying. No anyway, Dying. and otaku on my friends. Bye bye. 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 I don't know how to say goodbye in Turkish. God damn it. <laughs> I'm not going